hand into the fire. Run. Run! Welcome to episode 16 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast. The world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places. But still, there is much that is fair, and though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. Awesome so stuff. that might be a nice confusing one for you to start with, but uh, it's a quote that uh, is from the Fellowship of the Ring. It is as uh, Haldir leads the Fellowship into Lothlorien following the uh, loss of Gandalf, and it just seemed to strike to me, not necessarily because of the loss aspect, but... Uh, you know, we're still in a crazy old world, and I did see it, and I thought, that's a pretty nice way to start an episode, so if you are confused, well, that is why. <laughs> How are you doing, Stu? I'm really good. I liked it. I really liked it. I remember when you put it in our shared notes. I thought, oh, that's really good. I didn't I didn't know what it was from, so that, that's, that was going to be my next question, is what, whereabouts did it, and where did you take it from? And you obviously knew, knew the, the, the reference as a whole, but I didn't know which part of the book, so. Um, and it's nice to not have to think of an intro. I put pressure on myself by... Uh, deciding to say something silly in most cases at the start of each show and uh we're in episode 16 now and <laughs> we've done yeah, it before haven't bit... we? we start going oh god what am i gonna say what i'm gonna say um i like to try and keep it light and topical but maybe funny or something or other and it doesn't always need to be i suppose you just prove that you can you can you can have a nice passage like that so um, it can still be a nice little intro to the show and discussion point um but anyway to answer your question i'll be very good what about yourself yeah not bad um Keep on keeping on. It's been much the same as uh, last time I answered that question. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, yeah. my, my circumstances haven't changed all that much, but um, on the positive, I'm still getting loads of painting done. So Yeah, you're still on your enforced painting holiday. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, I um, wouldn't swap with anyone, but uh, there's maybe the odd day or week or something I would have... Um, I'd been a bit jealous and been in that position, but I would. Um, I've been very lucky that that uh, neither me or the wife have been in that sort of situation where we've been furloughed and had any of the the stresses and things that financially that might bring. And 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 unlike you, I've not been um, kept away from my other half, so to speak. But yeah, it wouldn't yeah, really, wouldn't really well. Swap you with muddle you. on. We find, you find ways around things while still uh, obeying the rules, because you know I am. While I'm not normally one for obeying the old social conventions for stuff, um, with this. I am because it's important. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, but there's still ways, even within the uh, ever lightening restrictions, to um, you know try to claw back small parts of your life previous, and uh, you can find your joy where you can. So it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, all good stuff. Uh, Though you may have noticed, uh, unfortunately, this evening we are not joined by Sam, but uh, he sends on all his best wishes to our listeners and. Uh, the positive feedback for having him back uh, for the last episode is very much appreciated. So, uh, and he will be back again very soon. Yes, the plan is he'll be back for episode seventeen. The topic topic we have planned for that he'll be fully involved in, and hopefully we can get him involved for the, for the whole show if we can start recording early enough in the in the evening. Whereas it's um, it's now nearly nine o'clock on the twenty third. Is it? I think it's the twenty third today. Yes, twenty third. Um, and we got online at seven thirty. Um, <laughs> we've been we've been just chatting away uh, some of it we could have fitted into the cast as well especially all the talk about display boards and stuff but um i've got some new recording kit so i knew we're you know we're probably gonna have half an hour just double double checking and it worked and to be fair 
knew it worked pretty much straight away. We had more problems when we tried to listen back to something, but that was that was a different reason. So we could have started at 7.40 probably, but we've, we've natted away. But it's been nice. It's nice to have a catch-up. when we, we talk on Messenger all the time, don't we? But to actually yeah. just sort of talk properly for a few minutes it's nice to have a little little catch up but anyway we're both we're both rambling this time me still more unsurprisingly um <laughs> let's let me tell you what we've got coming up on today's show um and then we'll go into our usual little break before we come back with many meetings um so we we're very lucky we have special guests for today's show um so for our council of elrond we're really pleased to welcome uh damien and tom of um Palantir and SPG magazine fame and um, Damien's on pretty much everything you see on, on all over the GBHL groups and the GBHL podcast channel at the moment is doing the battle games, um, battle streams in Middle Earth, streams with, with Steve, which everyone's, um, well, a good chunk of people are quite enthused and watching on these weekly streams at the moment. So he's quite the thing at the moment. So I'm really, really excited to uh, to, to have them both on the show to talk mainly about the magazine, but also the, just the, the hobby in general. So looking forward to that one, really looking forward to it. Um, we have another heroic death match um we've we've got we've had quite a few suggestions and we've we've done a couple of them already um i think looking down at the list of some of the suggestions they they were just so much of a mismatch that it w- wouldn't have been wouldn't have been funny i really wanted to I'm looking at wes's suggestion of doing shellob and um sam but it's just it's just we don't mind a bivet mismatch but it's just going to be horrible isn't it it's just not even going to be a, a, a worth doing worth running Although, through so this. if i run shellob with my Try record. Sam might win. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, is there any way you can do it? I, I, a lot of it is we're just we're redoing what's what's in the in the law, and it doesn't really matter. And it's having fun, and 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 maybe we can still do those things, and and just spend a bit more time discussing the profile or the the law around the profile as well. So we can, you know, we can we can look at doing those things, but we wanted there to be a little bit of a chance of either person winning, even if it's a stretch. Um, and but it just uh, this profiles and quite rightly the profiles for the game don't don't really match the one scene. Um, if you could give Sam some kind of um, buff, I mean he doesn't you can't get hold of the he doesn't have the um, uh, the oh what's Lots the name of, of it? Yes. Sting or yeah, so you file. can't. Yeah. That, the the, the logic doesn't exist in the the file doesn't exist in the game, does it? I know someone's going to come up and say yes, this model's got it. I mean, my limited and, and newish player, I don't can't think of it being in the game but um that would be that would be cool i was thinking about that if we had that maybe that would yeah. balance him maybe we'll have some fun maybe we'll we will add it we'll maybe we'll make a rule that gives him something that just six or something yeah just something that kind of gives him a chance of 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 wounding shellob and making shellob run away because that's what you want to do isn't it because shellob's with low courage if it suffers a wound you've got to make a courage test so maybe yeah. there's something that would just mean that Sam's got a chance of, of, of getting a wound and maybe maybe that would do it. Um, but that's something we may revisit. But today we've got um, Gandalf versus the Goblin King coming up. So we'll see if uh, Goblin Cleaver can uh, do its work. Um, um, so without further ado, we'll take a little break and we'll come back with many meetings. Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. 
market-leading gaming mats from GameMat.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And we're back. Um, we, we, we just ended up going on another little tangent and another 10-minute chat, and all we normally do is press stop on a record and go straight back into it. So we're clearly misbehaving when the red record button is not shining today. So hopefully this is a bit smoother for the actual show. So, Dan, what have you been up to since we last recorded? Well, um, not as much middle sadly, as I, as I wish to. Um, I have done a bit. Uh, I've put brush to miniature on my uh, Nazgul of Dogledur, but before you get excited, not a lot. I've sort of started sketching in some basic colours on one of them to get an idea of what I want to do. And the theme uh, of having sort of the grave dirt and the patina and the rusted metal and, you know, looking like they've been dragged out of the crypt is still very much there. I've just been fiddling about with them a bit uh, to work out exactly what that's going to look like on the miniature and the best way of achieving it. So, unfortunately, nothing to show just yet. But yeah, there yeah. will be stuff in the, in, in, in due time. Um, so there, And I, I did do a little bit more on my uh, Frandrel on the Horse, which I started, ooh, what, six six weeks, two months ago um, for the Battle Streams episode when they did oh, yeah, doing I cavalry. You, I forgot you still had that kind of as a work in progress rather than finished. Yeah, it's very much, uh, I don't know about work in progress, it's... I think you have to be progressing to do that, but I've done little <laughs> bits and pieces on it here and there. To be completely honest, um, my main painting project at the moment is for the new edition of 40K. Yeah, yeah, and, painting and, and a quite, large quite understandable as well. Because that's the one system, I mean, you play multiple systems and it's a system that's got a, re- got a release and that's not a dig. Uh, that's not really bad. It's, no. not, it's not a dig at anything. No. It's totally understandable why why Middle-earth is, we're it's waiting tiny, at the moment. It? It's just absolutely, but... It's it's got a release that's that's well it's been released hasn't it? Um, well, the, the biggest thing as well is I've got a regular player in in the shape of um, Nick who yeah. um, has been teaching me how to play eighth and now we're playing ninth. Yeah, and he lives um, in, he lives and, in your house. You're allowed to be with him in these, yes, in these strange yes. times, so it makes sense. Well, is that's it? It's um, because that's the game I can play. It's the game I'm most excited about playing because it's you know we you you get enthusiasm from from physically partaking in what you're doing and as yeah. much as i enjoy painting uh my middle earth miniatures it's, it's playing the games and having that fun with with your mates yeah that, it's having a goal it. isn't and it that's, that's why so many people yeah. hobby for events isn't it so especially people that that don't paint for joy they paint for as part of the, you know getting stuff ready it's events that that motivate people to, to get armies done whereas uh, times in the year when there's no events they you know maybe you paint less things that's not everyone of course but yeah a lot of people your mileage may vary on that it's um it is very much a case of because it's what i'm playing yeah it's what i'm excited about painting because as obviously and i'm still that new i'm building an army stage as well and anyone really will understand that you know the collector gene that we all seem to collectively have as a hobby community regardless of which button system you're playing yeah is that drive that new army excitement even if it's one you don't enjoy painting and you're just buying miniatures and learning how to use them you're still building an army and it's exciting so that's kind of why i'm, I'm cracking on with what i'm cracking on with and to be fair the um adeptus sororitas sister battle whichever version of the name you want to use um 
I've always loved them. And the new models are just insane. They are, they are one of the finest model ranges that GW has ever created. Um, uh -huh. Obviously, personal opinion, a lot of people would have to agree with me, even people who don't play it. But for me, it's been really exciting. It's very different. So I've been enjoying painting something that's dramatically different to everything else I've been painting recently. That's good. With I'll, all I'll... that said, <laughs> um, I have played a game uh, the other week. I did manage to get a game in. Uh, I've spoken about him before, uh, Will. Uh, he popped over when we were finally able to have people in the house, according to the uh, you know the, the restrictions being lifted yeah. slightly, um, which is great because I hadn't seen him um, well since March. Um, and now we played. Uh, I played with my Lothlorien, uh, my 500 points that um, is for the Blossom and Jetsam event uh, versus his 500 points of Serpent Horde, and. Um, it's also the first night he's been able to uh, first time he's been able to come over. Like he's been given a lift by his other half. Yeah, yeah. So we'd we'd spoken about you know having a drink because he'd actually bought me a bottle of rum for my birthday back in May and I hadn't touched it. And so I said you know I'll open it when we can have a drink. So basically he plied me with alcohol and then did horrible things to me with an elephant <laughs> that I I just couldn't kill that me Mac. I did touch on this actually. Um, in the last episode that we ran when I was having discussions with Ben. Yes, you uh, did, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's what has been going on. Obviously, because of the somewhat erratic timeline of the last episode, when things got recorded, when things go back together, yeah. I'll be straight up, I can't remember what I've spoken about and what I haven't. I don't think, uh, you, went into too much, I don't think you went into too much detail. I and mean, we, we haven't really spoke about it in, in, in loads of detail, I think, you messaged me. But, so what scenario did you play? Do you know what? I've uh, it's been like three or four <laughs> weeks, so I unfortunately have uh, forgotten which scenario we played. All I know is um, that uh, we needed to claim objectives, which I wasn't very good at, um, because I was determined to try and kill the Mumak. Um, what worked for me previously for killing Mumaks of basically um, getting off enchanted blades and then stabbing it to death yeah. didn't work quite so well this time. So I got it. Quite low on wounds. I didn't kill it out before I was um, twenty five percented out. That was the uh, end game condition for the scenario. Right. Um, his cavalry made absolute mincemeat of Haldir and his mob. He was dragged down very quickly. Um, it didn't really go very well in any any account. My rolling, particularly in the first half of the game, was absolutely appalling. Um, so whatever could go wrong did go wrong. But you know what? I had a blast. I had immense amounts of fun. We were having a couple of drinks. We were catching up. Doing all those things, as I've spoken about, that make you enthusiastic. Yes. Um, I was even happy about my elves. And <laughs> I haven't particularly been much enjoyed playing with them so far. So um, actually having a really good time out of them. I, it's not made me want to paint anymore, if I'm honest with you, because <laughs> just no. But no, I had a really, really good time with it. And it was really nice to engage in what made the Middle-earth hobby so exciting for me in the first place. I mean, we've all spoken about the fact we love... Tolkien, we love Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, we love the model ranges. But what really got to me was the fact that the game looked like it played so well and the community looked so nice and playing yeah. fun games with your mates embodies that in its totality, I think, for me. So um yeah, really, really good. Um looking forward to playing some more. Um we were talking about battle companies. Yeah. Uh so uh, we're gonna give that a go because it's something we can easily do over a weekday evening um together and it means we can start getting more people in the local area involved um in the last couple of days uh the legion of peace has announced we'll be reopening in a restricted fashion from the 7th of august 
Uh-huh. So um, if anyone would be interested in coming and playing games in Peterborough, uh, 7th of August and then again on the 21st, so every two weeks on, on a Friday um, in, in Peterborough, you, you can find our group on Facebook and you can perhaps take a look and, and see. I can't make the 7th, unfortunately. I am otherwise disposed. But um, I will be there on the 21st and hopefully playing some Middle Earth as well as potentially another game system as well. So that's a really cool thing. When the hobby community is starting to wake up and you know things are heading yeah, in the right direction, definitely. I think, and it'll definitely do a lot for positivity and enthusiasm and you know get those uh, wheels turning on Middle-earth and hopefully as time goes by we can get back up to the place where I can once again lay the gauntlet down for Harry and the imps, get them to come over and teach us how to play properly, <laughs> which would be really good fun. Um so, so yeah, how, I mean, how, how they work in the, how they work in the club? Then I'm just interested before you move on to the next. Well, part, previously we because the property that we use is uh, it's quite a posh village hall, but it's essentially a village hall um, quite close to the centre of Peterborough. And traditionally, what we've done is rented the smaller of the two rooms, right? Because the large room has historically, for I mean, for longer than we've known, um, been uh, rented by a whist club on a uh-huh. Friday night. Yep. And that's the large room, which is the room I've used when I've run heresy events there. Right. So you can get way more tables in there. So what we're looking at is I was able to run, how was it, 12 tables in there really comfortably with still a fair amount of space previously. That's four six by fours. So we're going to do, we're able to get the largest room now. Yep. Um, because the WISP players aren't meeting, I'm guessing, without you know, being stereotypical, the average age of most of the players who go to that <laughs> are in the risk bracket. There's yeah, no two ways of putting it. There are younger players who play it. It's not blanket, but the average age of the people playing are people who are most at risk of COVID. So I think as a group, they've decided not to pick back up for the meantime. So in that meantime, we've been able to snag the larger room. Uh, I say we, Alex does all of that. He deals with the uh, the, the landlady or I think or the person who represents the land lady and so we've got the large room and it means we can fit six tables in there quite comfortably while maintaining full social distancing That's so good. obviously everything will be cleaned down everything there'll be access to you know hand sanitizer all that kind of thing everyone shall have to bring their own dice tray their own dice tape, tape measures templates no lending or loaning of anything everyone's just got to try and be as responsible as possible masks and things or not required uh, it's not a hard and fast rule. I think that'll be down to people. Um, I can't speak for Alex. I think there's still a few things to be nailed out prior to the 7th. And I think if any decisions are made in regards to that, then they'll be made it's and diff- announced. It's difficult, isn't it? Because to from, from tomorrow in the UK, we, we, we have to wear masks in all shops and, and inside. Yeah, there were some further like clarifications that. on that, that today, weren't there? That counts probably a private thing. Well, the, the clarifications, we're not getting political. Any of it to release the proper guidance document today didn't they um yes <laughs> no, nothing like being a bit i, I think it'll be um i was actually having this discussion with one of the guys who comes to the club today because i had to go pick up some models uh you know correctly distance um talking about you know that there's only so much they can legislate for after that it's a degree of personal responsibility yeah of course and having a discussion and being adults and talking to each other about what everyone views as safe and what everyone agrees to in order to have your games etc so I think if uh, you're shielding or something and you'd rather play with a mask on, you just I think it'll be a case of talking to the opponents or raising it as a 
Yeah, know, absolutely. I just, I just um, wondered. I wasn't, wasn't judging either way. I just, no, I just, no. I just I, wondered I, whether it was a a rule that was set, going to be set by the club that said if you want to play, you have to follow those rules. Or I'm guessing if you can have the doors open and have the workplace well ventilated as well, will 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 help at least yeah. at this time of the year. It might be it might get a bit chilly if we're still in these things. Just interested in general, really, how people are starting to to, to sort of to manage it. I know chip at incon gaming as as obviously had gaming available for a while we'd have to book the tables obviously that was his way of managing how many people there were there um but i know yeah, that they will be strictly booked as well there'll be there won't be any um spectating yeah, yeah. literally you the, the people who are booked to come down or the people who do come down unfortunately it has it does mean we've incurred a slight increase in um costs because we've got a large hall we can't have as many people yeah but to be honest um it's not that much more Mm-hmm. money and if you really want to play at the moment which i know a lot of people do if you've not been playing for four months that's four months of subs you've saved so a couple extra quid each time <laughs> neither here nor there is it absolutely I, well i, I know it's cheaper at the moment <laughs> yeah it is very cheap in some places i know it's uh, excuse me i know it's cheap as um as is actually stopped doing um tuesday and thursday night gaming for a while with the two nights that the the club or I say club but the time that the, the store was open in evenings because people just aren't booking the tables so he's just sitting there in a in a shop with no one there and that sort of still shows that people are a little bit reticent to to go and yeah uh, maybe people are starting to do more of a kind of people who can game at home maybe are choosing to 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 have like you did with will have someone around in your in your home and be socially responsible there rather than go somewhere where you could end up meeting lots of other people i suppose that's um even though i very much doubt there's many people um, I'll be interested to see long term how much this changes the because obviously there's always been a percentage of people who only play events, people who play at the local gaming centres or local GW or, or whatever, people who play at gaming clubs, and then people who play at home. And the pe- percentage of people who generally play at home has always been quite small. Yeah, I would be interested to see how much that percentage has changed post. Interesting. Very interested. I would because assume that people who are forced so... to build a table have always been like, oh, I can't be bothered. That's what I was going to say. So I would assume that most people would just drift back because they like the, the getting out of the house, going to um, go. And the only thing that stopped me going on a regular basis really was just the time you get the kids to bed and, and what time you need to play games and things like that. And as the kids get older, it's always easier to do it. As Jacob got older, I started going more. Then we had Harry. And then that kind of stopped again, just because I'd always feel bad leaving the house at six o'clock and leaving my wife putting two kids to bed. You may have heard crying in the background a moment ago there. I could definitely hear it. So it may have picked it up on the microphone. But um, um, Emma's Emma's on duty tonight with with the, with the lads. So um, I could get back to the point where I could go go to, you know, get in the car and drive over to Cheltenham and, 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 and game again now. It's just getting easy enough for... for first to put both kids down as one person put both kids to bed so to speak but um so i would probably start going again but again i've got a really good gaming set up here and you You've haven't got, got the travel time if someone's, yeah, funny enough yeah. <laughs> I've, and this isn't knocking knocking chip here but in terms of middle earth terrain i can actually put a better put a better table set up with me here i've got more mats that are suitable i've got more um the right kind of mats and i've got more um uh, middle earth terrain so I'd, I'd end up i think the last time i played middle earth at the club i took my own terrain anyway so in some ways um it's people are happy to come to me um 
then then I'd you know it's just as easy for me to have them here. So um, and you can have a beer. I can have a beer <laughs> exactly. I mean I might yeah for the next couple of months, excitable puppy biting your ankles when you're trying to play. Maybe we'll probably go back to the club. Um, but um, it's I know what you mean though. If people have to spend invested money into a table setup. Um, maybe they'd be more likely to use it. But I've got to feel, always got the impression that gamers that have the space to have gaming tables at home had them anyway. And the ones that didn't were the ones that just would always go to a club. And maybe that won't change when when things ease up again. Um, I, think, yeah. I think things will drift back to normal there. I think in other parts of society, businesses where they realise they don't need to rent office space as much and that kind of stuff, and then we may see more permanent changes. But when it comes to gaming, I think gamers just like to get together and... Um, be social yeah, as just, well and and chat and it's you know i used to pop down and not play and just pick up some paint chat to chip for a bit wander around chat to a couple of people playing games so even if i didn't have time to sort of get there and play games kids were in bed i still pop down for an hour or so um and it was nice to do that roads are empty at that time of night in the evening it's very very easy to do so it's just nice to get out and do stuff um so it will be interesting it will be interesting to see but it's yeah i was surprised that um that, that chip wasn't have many people booking tables I, I hadn't been down there to see what it's like but just assumed that because i know his business is is he seems to be doing quite well he's managed very well um on lockdown in terms of really pushing the mail order side of his business so he's been has been been working hard and i know he's opened the pub um because he's got a big beer garden so i know you can book tables to go to his pub but he'll only do it via booked tables he's none of this walk up to the bar stuff and none of the stuff you see on on the on the news where you see some pubs with all these people staying outside and not social distancing he's been he's been super super careful with it and you have to book a table to, in order to go and um to go and have a drink there um so which is it's uh, great way forward I think yeah, that, I mean, it's it's good to see things moving in a positive direction. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, just it just interested me. I just wondered how they, how they were doing it because we've um, we talked a little bit about it on the last show, didn't we, about some of the new guidance? And I think we may have had a little bit more since then. But again, it's just that I'm at the moment starting to get questions about um, Flotsman Jetsam even more, and I wanted to kind of make an official announcement. It's still really hard to do, to be honest with you, because. As it yeah. stands, there's nothing that says that we could hold the event um, and maintain because you have to maintain social distancing doesn't look like it's going to disappear. So you can't you can't one meet a social distance from your doubles partners. It's just not going to work. Um, and you, you couldn't have that many people in the, in the room as it stands. Um, you can book a table at a gaming club if you fully social distance, but you're stuck with that person to play a game for a couple of hours. It's different to kind of be in that environment in that room when you're changing around between events. And I know we talked about this a little bit last show, so I don't want to go on about it again, but it feels like we've got to wait for more announcements really before we know for certain. So I will go back into planning mode come, you know, as, as August approaches and, and, and do a bit of an announcement, but it's very difficult to then go on and, and uh, fully crack on and be a hundred percent sure. Um, I think a lot of organisers are in the same boat. Obviously, yeah. um, the greetings from the Warp Boys, um, who are based out of Northamptonshire. Yeah, uh, they run a lot of stuff. I mean, primarily uh, Heresy and Forty K. I was signed up for some stuff that has now been unfortunately cancelled. Yeah, um, and then there's some stuff they? that they have one plan moved, mm-hmm. and then may need to either be moved again or change in the way it works. Unfortunately, um, so we just wait and see. Everyone's in that sort of same place i think yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it's just a it's just a it's a it's the not knowing that's a it's a pain i'm not i'm not complaining either way i guess actually the right thing not to be running events at the moment as much as i, I think not go knowing ahead and covers it. a lot of hobby stuff yes <laughs> at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah definitely it's, definitely uh, um, it's uh 
I thought I'd mention it anyway, again, just like just so people that I know that that, that people attending are listeners as well for the show. Um, and then that's, again, one of the reasons why. So I've had quite a few people, because I added the singles event, didn't I? Well, I was going to do a singles event in October anyway, and the doubles got moved to the same weekend, and it became a two-day event with the doubles one day and singles the other. And, yeah, uh, no and, tickets yet. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and, I, and people keep saying, have you still got tickets left for the singles? And I'm well, technically they're all still available because I've not sold any, and I'm not going to sell them until I know that there's a, you know, like a probably above 80% chance that it's going to be able to happen. Um, yeah, you don't really want to uh, well, uh, double down. I'm not going uh, exactly, to. I'm not going to spend any money that I would have got from those tickets until I knew. Um, I've already spent all of the money from the doubles. Um, a quarter of that, as I think I've said before, is is to do with the event, the room hire. If it's cancelled, I don't know what position Chip is in to pay me back, or whether it's just he would want to postpone to a new date. And then the other money, the other three quarters, is is really all spent on the trophies and the prizes and things. All the terrain I bought out of my own pocket as well, which is fine because I'm happy to own it. But that's you know, it's not that money's not gone on terrain either. It's gone on the trophies. It's gone on the spot prizes. It's gone on. Okay, all the other little bits and bobs that that, that go with it, um, and cool. some, and some, cool. because I spent more than than it. And again, that's not a kind of no little mini violins coming out. But if I have to refund, it's going to come out of my own pocket, um, which is fine because I didn't put dates on any of the trophies, and and I hopefully then will be able to recoup that money when I rerun it, reschedule it again. But what I'll, I'll say this now: if it doesn't go ahead in October, it won't be happening this year. Um, I will be just wait until the July dates that I announced next year. And um, people that have got tickets already that want and can go next year, their tickets will carry over completely. Um, and then I will sell on what's left. And it may well be that, it's, uh, that because I'm expanding the event slightly, that the tickets are ever so slightly more expensive next year. So the people that do kind of carry the tickets over will get a discount price. We'll see how it works. But um that's the absolute worst case scenario, but I am definitely not taking any money from anybody as yet um, until I know <laughs> that um, that, it, you know, that it's going to happen because it's just silly because I'll just be giving it back to you. I'd have to just leave it in a PayPal account, so it just seems pointless. I'm, I'd rather just get a waiting list of names at the moment and, and see how it goes. But anyway, that was a really big interruption tangent when I all no, I said was no, how it's the all club. relevant stuff. I think uh, it'll only be disjointed if we came back to it later. So yeah, mm. definitely it's. Um, you need to let people know people are asking so that's all good uh-huh. yeah apart from that i haven't done huge amount of stuff to be honest um we watched the old animated movies yes found them all online so i watched uh i started with the hobbit uh-huh. because people keep on banging out on about how much it's a better film than um you know peter jackson's live actions <laughs> live action slash cgi's right. so i watched the original 1977 um Rankin Bass one that was done by the Japanese animators, and I have to say, I have no idea what people are smoking if they think the <laughs> animated one is better than the live action. Um, and the the biggest problem I've actually got with it is, um, for those of you who have watched South Park and are fans, this will make sense. For anyone else, probably quite <laughs> difficult. But in South Park, there's an episode about a gerbil called Lemmy Winks. I won't go into it any further than that because this is a, you know, PG thirteen show. <laughs> but there are some um, song sequences to do with questing in that episode, and I've always found them quite familiar. And fun enough, in the Hobbit movie, when I first watched that, I found them the song sequences that quite familiar. Basically, Lemmywinks ripped off the nineteen seventy-seven, and it means I cannot take the Hobbit in any way seriously 
whatsoever. It has <laughs> ruined it for me. Um, the animation itself is actually quite good. The you know if, from a purely um, aesthetic point of view, the line work, the way it's been animated together, yeah, it's actually it's actually quite pretty, yeah. But it's it's terrible, and the songs are awful. I, the only one exception would be Down Down to Goblin Town, which I promise will definitely not sing during the uh, death match. <laughs> um, but and then from that, that I watched uh, the Batsky uh, Lord of the Rings, yeah, yeah uh, and then I actually watched the. Return of the King, which is done by the same people who did the Japanese um, 1977 Hobbit. Yeah. And that film is just absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I found it incredibly difficult to watch through. I, obviously, I watched them as, you know, a child and pretty pictures and it's, you know, fantasy and it's just it's cool and all that, but it's blooming awful now. Yeah. So... Yeah, anyone, I mean, you're into, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, I'm not saying anyone's wrong. Actually, yes, I am saying anyone's wrong. The, the original uh, animated version of The Hobbit is nowhere near as good as the Peter Jackson trilogy, regardless of how much bloat may be in it. Tariel, or any of the other reasons that we picked out in previous episodes for this, the animated one, absolutely blooming not. So that, that's my finding from uh, the last couple of weeks. So, so uh, my first sort of apart from having the hobbit read to me the first thing first sort of access to lord of the rings was through the bashki film and i've got a lot of fondness for it i really like it um uh, but i'd never seen the 77 hobbit or the return of the king films and um i started watching the the hobbit film the other night i've watched about half an hour of it and yeah, I'm not kind of like champing at the bit to watch the rest of it. I want to watch it as a as a <laughs> Tolkien fan, and I was going to, wanted to watch it to to talk to you about it a little bit more for as part of this chat on the show. And I just ran out of time. Um, I did watch it at like three in the morning while holding my my one year old who was having a bad night teething, um, so I was watching it on my phone. But um, and in even even a couple of whiskeys before I went to bed didn't didn't help me um enjoy it a lot more i did struggle with it a bit um so what i'll say about the animation i think the matte paintings the backgrounds are fine i think they look quite good i'm not a fan of the style of the 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 hobbit or the the, the dwarves i think they look a little no, bit scary they're very, they're very old school japanese though yeah i'm not i'm not very I'm, I'm not up with my yeah i wouldn't have recognized that i wouldn't know that's not my area of expertise so i'm not a fan of the aesthetic of the of the actual characters themselves and i haven't got far enough in i think we did have done goblin town and they've come out the other side and i think that's about where i'm at with it now so um the story didn't yep. seem horrendous to be honest with you it felt like the book there's got the, the the right elements in there it's clearly a kid's film fine the biggest thing for me was just the style of the animation but yeah you're not missing an awful lot and again if anyone thinks that that's better than than the peter jackson's adaptation there yeah i agree with you i don't know what they're smoking either i can understand people liking the style of the bashki film and not liking peter jackson i still think it's odd that people would prefer that over peter jackson stuff but the the 77 hobbit is not in the same you know sort of standard yeah. as as, and, as the Bashki uh, film and i haven't return got the to the, i haven't got to the return of the king yet <laughs> no i haven't got there I haven't got there at all i suppose anything and and i've seen pictures from it and the same with the hobbit anything that kind of goes too far away from tolkien's descriptions 
for, for no apparent reason. It's just a very weird interpretation throws me. Um, there's no, there's no, you know, what, what Peter Jackson did and what Bashki did were very similar. And it's not because Peter Jackson was copying Bashki either. It's because they were, they got the descriptions and understood the descriptions and, and, some of the artwork around at the time for those things. I'm pretty sure that's where they've got a fairly similar kind of idea. Don't get me wrong. The orcs and, and the, and Aragorn look very different in terms of what they're wearing, but the hobbits and the Shire look like the hobbits and the Shire, so to speak. Um, it looked weird in that Hobbit film, but I am going to watch the rest of it. Cause I, I want to, yeah, I want to tick it off and say I've done it. And if I, if I could buy it, I would still buy it just because I want to have it on the shelf as part of a collection as long as it was a sensible price. But um, I don't think it's something that pops up on, on Amazon at the moment and I wouldn't be something I'd be trying to import for like 40, 50 quid. If it was there for a, like 10 quid on Amazon, I'd buy it at some point. But I'm not even sure you can get... I think you'd have I don't to be <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so it's That's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. So, um, but, but the internet was kind to me. Um, so you can watch it if you're willing to find it out there. Um, but Yes. Was, um, yes, you can. It was interesting. A trip down memory lane, um, and it, it kept me, I'll use the word entertained very tentatively, <laughs> uh, but uh, while I was painting away, it, it, it was something to fill some time. And then I went back to the pronos and was much happier. Uh, <laughs> it, I did but, get a lovely pop-up when I, when I, when I followed the link, uh, a new pop-up. Oh, and said your iPhone has got thirteen new viruses. Press click here to resolve them. Um, so I was very thankful for that person to for helping me get rid of the viruses, and um, <laughs> and I've just um, it happily um, clicked the link to the Nigerian cousin he's got, who's going to give me lots of money as well. Apparently, um, no, it's um, but yeah, be do be careful um, if you do go searching for those things, especially if you're on a PC, you're a little bit more susceptible to. Um, kind of trojan type viruses and stuff like that if you've got a if you're watching on an iphone or something there's not a lot those things can do to them are they? but um just be careful with your on devices yes there. i wouldn't Absolutely. i wouldn't open it up on a pc to be honest with you that a really good antivirus sub i was quite confident opening up on my phone that it was just gonna open up a browser and i could just close down straight away but yeah they, they watch them but yeah don't don't hold don't trust to hope um no absolutely not <laughs> uh aside from that i've been uh catching up with some uh podcasts and stuff um and i recently watched the guardians of wiltshire uh they put it up about two or three days ago yeah two days ago uh with uh jasmine which i actually found really interesting i really enjoyed it primarily because uh jasmine as a player is almost on the opposite end of the hobby to where I am. Uh-huh. She doesn't particularly enjoy painting. Yeah. But she is an incredibly one proficient um but also quite competitive player. Right. She knows what she's about. Um I think they were discussing her placing I think 11th on the GBHL which is really impressive. Yeah. Um and she's not particularly a, a painter or someone who particularly enjoys painting which obviously I am but uh-huh hearing about the hobby from someone on the other end because you know yourself and sam and i are far more on the (laughs) not very competitive (laughs) quite narrative we're very much um painting and hobby driven so actually hearing about the sort of the state of the game as it were and um how you know people got into the hobby what they enjoy about the hobby the things they've done within the hobby from almost the other end from being uh if people use the word competitive, I mean, I guess this may be the heresy player in me. Competitive is a little bit of a bogeyman word, 
but actually hearing from someone who enjoys the game for what it is, it's an incredibly nuanced, balanced, yeah. competitive game system. Yeah, and actually enjoying it is fullest within that setting, but viewing painting as something obviously you need to do to get an army ready for an event to go and do what you actually enjoy, which is competitively play to mm. prove who is the better gamer. Yeah, And hearing her perspective on the hobby was actually really refreshing for me. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Um, so to both of them, Thank you very much for that. I was uh, I was a good hour and a half spent. I did enjoy it, so um, wow. I would recommend anyone to go and look for it. It's on. Um, if you look for the Guardians of Wiltshire on uh, YouTube, you better find it. It's the latest video. By the time you go to this, it may not be, but it shouldn't be that far down. It's um, marked as being um, interviewing Jasmine. Well worth a look. Absolutely. Have you watched the others in that series? I haven't watched. Uh, I haven't watched hers them, yet. No. So I'm halfway through the Will Champion one at the moment, and obviously Will Champion is another competitive player. Um, so you, if you haven't watched those, and there's a bit, there's a mix. Um, so you've got some, they're all very experienced people. So you've got Dan Entwistle on there, who's competitive. Um, at the times, I think he's, he like established the GBHL Facebook group and all those things. So um, you've got um, there's one with Callum Steels, right? I think his name is, and he. Um, he was best newcomer a couple of years back or the year before last, so he's fairly competitive as well. Um, and then I know he had a couple of the painters on, so I think there's um, Andy Hamblin and Phil Beale. Um, um, so there's a slightly different aspect, but they're still experienced gamers as well. You might like the Matt Light one. He's another very competitive player, more, you know, it's about the games rather than, um, and list writing. That You might find that very interesting if you enjoyed. I haven't, as I say, I'm going on what you said. I've not watched the Jasmine one yet, but so definitely go back and look at the others. Scott Whitefoot's on there, and that's, um, Scott talks a lot about painting and things. Scott's won nearly everything when it comes to painting. Um, there's a couple more as well. I haven't remember. I haven't watched yeah, them all. Yeah, I definitely plan on going back and watching the others. They're well there's worth a couple of, them, couple of them I've not done, but most of them I have watched. They are really good, and I've been putting them on when I'm when I'm working. Just basically, they're like a podcast, aren't they? Because they, you don't have to watch the screen. I do like look over at it, but it is just you know Derry and and whoever his guest is looking at their cameras while they while they're chatting over um, Zoom or whatever whatever he happens to be using. But they're definitely very very good series. Um, that channel's really really growing. Um, there's a real mix of content on there, so sort of real in depth list review kind of thing and they got the the community chats like that he's got some painting videos and things on it as well it's a really really good mix of an all-round kind of no matter what you like within the hobby you will find a video on there that will, will kind of cover what you what you're into i think so well done yeah yeah um well i think from basically spinning doing effectively naff all uh into probably quite a lengthy little uh, chat about what i've been up to in the last <laughs> couple of weeks um without further ado what have you been up to Stu? um i'm trying to remember what i've done since we last recorded and what's what was on without repeating myself i've already repeated probably what i talked about in the last intro um about the sort of the event running and social distancing a little bit so i'm going to be careful not to repeat too much had i finished building all of my defenders of helms deep last time oh, i can't remember if i had or not um but I have that list yes. is done and they're all primed and zenithaled. Um So it's a matter of starting work on those at the moment. I'm painting middle earth for work at the moment, which is good. I've got loads of dwarves on my desk. So I'm doing some colour dumb. Um, it's always nice when work becomes a bit more pleasurable. Not that I mind painting other systems, but it's always a bit extra special when it's the, the game system I'm uh, super into at the time. Um, so that's that's been quite fun as well. 
Um, and what have I been doing, really? I I put another YouTube video up. So again, if you're listening to this there's, and you're on our social media, you'll have probably seen me share it. But I did do the first hobby vlog, which is a bit of fun. So I um, did a mini tour of the hobby room, um, talked a bit a little bit about the paint setup and things, and then sort of sort of reviewed what I've painted so far this year, and and sort of talked about the plans, what I had for the rest of the rest of the year as well. So I'll probably end up repeating a little bit of that here, but I kind of just sort of went over what I've what I've painted and I reminded myself what I've done, and I probably forgot some of it. But I've done a whole Goblin Town army, and I've done the nine, and I've painted a battle company and couple of other individual miniatures and things and i worked out that i've painted just over 100 models personally this year so that's not too bad um it not will be a lot would be it'd be a lot more <laughs> well I, in some ways i like it, thought it might be more but i suppose i spent the first sort of two months of the year maybe three months nearly leading building up towards flotsam and jetsam that got postponed so all my personal hobby time was was building and painting at the time 10 tables worth of terrain so that was all my, you know, if I didn't do that in the first half of the year, well, I'd probably done another army by now. So it's it's kind of, it's chipping away. The goal is now to chip away and get these, what, 80, nearly 83, 84 models, to close to around that mark, over 80 model Defenders of Helms Deep list done. So I need to get those painted. And once they're done, it'll be cracking into 50, 60 odd um, Isengarders for my own little bit towards the mass amount of... Um, Isengard we're going to need to attack Helm's Deep and then it'll be back to Rohan again and I'll be back to painting all of the the mounted side of that army because I don't want it I don't want Rohan just for Helm's Deep I want it to be a whole faction as well um paint the remaining few foot troops that that don't you know don't defend Helm's Deep so to speak um that's going to take me all the way through probably to October time I imagine um and if not beyond that and then hopefully at the end of the year, I want to get to start working on my um, the, the, the Fangorn um, display board for Throne of Skulls. But we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, weren't we? That <clears throat> I can't see Throne of Skulls happening this year, even if even if we're um, completely locked down free with no social distancing by December. I don't know what you think about this, but if games were, I can I can see a point where even if everything gets back to quote you know, quote, in inverted commas, normal by December, which was Boris's uh, relatively normal goal. It still relies on everything going completely right between now and then. Even if suddenly they could hold events, I can't imagine him just doing Throne of Skulls. If they had, oh, if they could only do three or four events, I don't think that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't think they'll do. I, I, I could see a, a, a situation where they don't run any GTs or any events and when they're able to do some kind of open day type things to get more things covered, to catch up on some of the things they've missed. Or if they do run events, they're going to run an AOS GT and run a 40k GT. It just doesn't make sense to me. They would run a smaller, I know people will be screaming, no, but we always have it at the end of November. I get it. I'd much rather there be a Throne of Skulls, but I just can't see all these other systems missing their big, missing their own Throne of Skulls and missing their own GTs this year and there's been no shows no 40k open days and all these things that we normally see if suddenly they were able to the in november and december start doing things at the weekends in that in that event hall i can't see why they would throne of skulls would make it into the 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 six weekends that maybe they have available before you get to christmas i just i just don't see it well they won't probably run anything in the shopping day run up to christmas anyway um purely because of the way they want to run their retail yeah but 
yeah, I think if we're all being pragmatic and honest, as much as we are a growing uh, community, um, you know, well-established now uh, and, uh, you know, creative, great community, it's, it's drops in the ocean compared to 40K. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. amount of money that people will come and spend at, you know, different GTs or throw the skulls for the different game systems, I'd imagine, you know, this is just supposition, but I I think they'll probably earn more money out of um, 40k. And they've just had a massive new edition release and everything else. They're going to take one look at it and go, we've had Warhammer World closed for, what, four months? Near enough, it was closed, it only reopened last Saturday as we speak. Yeah, just just gone. And then it's, they, they it's only the shop as well, on isn't it? it? It's only the shop. That nothing else is opened as yet. Yeah. Even though they they technically could open Bugmans in the same way as other other pubs and things are, but they're not opening those things as yet. So they, it's clearly that they're, they're being ultra careful. I and I support that, by the way. But it, yeah. they're, they're clearly just being. Well, we're, we're opening it for retail, so you can come and buy your things. That's uh, that's the core of their business. They're not there to run a pub, are they? That's just a byproduct no. of what they have there. So it makes sense. Well, it's a working site. Because they've got the factories, every, and you know, yeah, um, you bring something the, in that that means that your half your workforce are suddenly get shut down. Then, then the, no one around the world gets the next releases are off again. So there's a there's a massive impact that uh, risk reward there, isn't there? So, yeah. So so with that in mind, anyway, I just I was thinking that I might not end up being under any time pressure to do the display board for for the the, the Fangorn list. I was going to take the Flotsman Jetsam theme Fangorn list. Um, maybe I'll just end up. I still want to build it. There's not one I want to build instead of that as it stands. There's not a, so it might be that I build it for next year. Um, not knowing when the events will be, it might be that I end up going to a, a GT where I wouldn't normally do it just because I want to go to a middle earth event there. Um, Obviously, it'll be lower points level, so I will I'll probably design the board so we can still have a thousand, hold a thousand points worth events and, uh, and maybe just fill in, fill in holes with clear discs or something or other for when when I run less ends or something I don't know but um, I really want to build that board because we were talking about it beforehand or we talked about it in the show before so I won't go over it in too much detail again but I really want to build the display board with the as when the when Mary and Pippin are sitting there after the ruin of Isengard when they're smoking and eating stuff and you've got the chicken floating by and I really want to build a display board based around that um, Have you um, sourced a relevantly scaled chicken? Um, I haven't. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what whether this will be, this will be for you someone. Can get something like it from Crovlek. Um, I've got no doubt that you can buy the bits, whether that will be allowed or not. This is the thing. So um, it might is, be something yeah. to speak to Damien about when we we catch up with him later in the show, or ask him off about all of the things that he put in bag end, whether he bought stuff and whether that's allowed or not. Or whether you have to, if it's not, it's G, I don't know what the rules are. If it's not a GW model, could you stick it on the display board or would you have to model it yourself? I've not got a problem in modelling chickens out of green stuff. They wouldn't be amazing, but I'm sure that at that scale, they would be perfectly passable. Um, and in many ways, it'd be nice to model it all myself. But yeah, I'm if sure it didn't matter, sculpt chickens. if it didn't matter and... I could buy some nice sets and I'm sure there's plenty of companies out there that will 
make stuff like that. In fact, I can think of a couple, I can't remember the name of, I can think of a couple that's some of them are on my Instagram feed all the time that makes all kind of role play kind of tables and, and books and bits and bobs like that. So I'm sure there's companies out there that I could get that stuff for. And if that was allowed, then I'd be tempted to maybe buy it as well. Um, I think, um, I'm sure... I don't know. I'm trying to think of where else I've seen it. There's some people I can ask, and I'm pretty sure there's stuff out there. But I don't know what the done thing is, whether that would technically mean that I couldn't enter it into the best army um, for the event if I'm using third-party miniatures or not. That's that's the question. But it's not a huge question. That's something for the later. I really want to build that board. Anyway. I'm really excited to build that board. But I also don't want to build that board and then not be able to take it to an event for 12 months. So whether I start building it slowly but don't worry about trying to rush and complete it, knowing that there's probably not going to be a Throne of Skulls. Making a massive assumption, but I think a, an educated assumption, shall we say, um, and then spend the time working on more and more stuff that might support Quest of the Ringbearer. So I want to paint my Fellowship. I want to make sure they're done. Um, I've got a Moria army sitting there, so painting more of the armies that you see in the film. So I want to. I don't think I want to have every single faction ever. I don't think that's... I don't want to get quite there. But I'd love to have an army, a playable army of at least 600 points for every faction that appears in some way in the films, if that makes sense. So um, I want to have more. No goblins. camels then, no? No, I probably wouldn't bother. They, they, they're not. <laughs> Once I've done everything else, then maybe. This, would I do right, Would I do any of those armies, actually? I might quite pick like canned. A, yeah. I might pick up a mummock, but I might not. Do you know what I mean? It might just be the one Mummock, or that might be two, but because because, <laughs> yeah, of, because of Pelinor, but I wouldn't want to turn that into collecting the factions in a, in a big way. Um, but everything else, I just want to be able to reenact stuff from the films first and foremost, and I want to do as many of the scenarios that you find that relate to the films, again, first time round, first and foremost. So that means, yeah, I've got a few Gladrim I've picked up to go with the Defenders of Elm to Deep. And, I, yeah, I'm going to go and buy um, some cavalry and I'm going to go and buy Caliborn and Galadriel because that turns that one box of uh, <laughs> of, of um, Galadrim into an army with those just because of the, the cost of them. So it's, it's silly not to do it. But, yeah, it's goblins so I can do Moria stuff. But, you know, I want a Balrog as well. I want to. So that will be an army I end up with. Um, am I going to go straight out and get a Kazadum army? No, because they don't appear in the films at the moment. I'm painting them at the moment and looking at them and thinking, oh, I really like these, but I've got a lot of dwarves already. Um, so, um, so there's something to return to for me once I've gone and done stuff so I can do the scenarios. So it'll be get Memoria done maybe, and maybe get Smaug done this year and work a bit slower on the display board if Throne of Skulls isn't going to come around and aim to use that either go to the GT and use it, use it at a lower points level or assume that the, the dates are kept normal and there's a throne of skulls a year in December's time. So December, 2021, um, just sort of slowly do it over that time. Who knows? Might be really lucky by then. And they might have released um, the, the new models for the profiles in um, um, Rohan, war in Rohan. So you got uh, quick beam and, what's his face um so maybe that will maybe that will fall into maybe i'll be lucky maybe by not um storming ahead with that now i won't end up having to 
replace those models in the future. Who knows? Oh, it's difficult. It's difficult to know what to do, but um, maybe I'll just focus on doing those. And then once I've done Memoria, I've got Minas Tirith to do and I've got Mordor. Because once I've ticked off those big core armies that you see again and again and again in the movies, then we really can start chipping away at some of those narrative scenarios. At the moment, I can't really do it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. A very rambly way of saying what, I've, <laughs> what I'm planning on doing. But that's that's as soon as my, the, the Rohan stuff, Helm's Deep's done, and the eyes of God stuff for it. I'm kind of open, really, kind of flexible. Without throwing the skulls, I'm kind of flexible with what I do, and it might be that I focus on sort of stuff from Quest of the Ringbearer and um, and then think, well, what am I missing from the films? Oh, yeah, time to get that Moira army speed painted and all those goblins speed painted and have some fun with the Balrog, and then time to do that Mordor army that I've had sitting in the box since I've since Pelennor came out, and time to do the Minas Terrath army that I need to, to, to fight it, so to speak. Um... But that's it, really. I haven't done loads and loads. I've done. I've been working a lot. And I've been building models, but I haven't done a lot of individual painted. Did I say I picked up uh, Shalob? And um, I can't remember if that was last show. I think you mentioned you bought them. But I don't think they'd arrived. So that's yeah. So that's arrived. And that's something else I want to paint. I'm looking at it on my shelf. Think I really want to paint that. Well, maybe I'll have the opportunity now. Now that I won't be thinking right, throwing the skulls, get my head down. Nearly need to get this display board done. Now that's the time pressure of getting that finished. Is, is it's likely not to be there. I might have some fun really kind of spending time doing stuff for some of those scenarios and really kind of building that way, especially with no events or not many events going on. Um, I've also, I think I've mentioned this on the part, the last two books arrived yesterday in my, my back catalogue collection. So I've been on a bit of a mission buying all the old editions and supplements. Um, and I've used the um, the unofficial collector's guide as the guide. So there might be stuff that I didn't wasn't aware of. Um, but the only publications in terms of books that I don't have are the three collector's guides, the official ones, because they're all like 30 quid each on eBay, which is ridiculous, really. Um, and then there's three supplements, which I think were in the US. And they, if you read the text for them, they're all like US White Dwarf. I think there's like a War Hosts one and um, there's a Last Alliance one and there's something else. I've, I find the PDFs are all available online for those things. And they are booklet supplements they're not like published books that you could pay money for i don't not as far as i can see anyway they've got no there's no front or back covers to them there's no um no barcodes or or um book what's it called isbn numbers or anything like that for them so i'm pretty sure i've got everything so every supplement every rule thing including war of the rings since it started and i've just been on ebay trolling through um having this really nice back collection and it's really nice to have it's really nice to look at all the old scenarios and um got the old Best of White Dwarfs, which we might be doing something for a new future show. So it's been really nice flicking through those. Um, I quite like the nostalgia thing of looking through old old White Dwarfs and things anyway. So all these old supplements are right up my alley. So so my I've been spending money and collecting stuff. Um, it's more than, more than actually painting anything right now. But yeah, that's me. Um, we probably, this has been a really, really long, long, long ramble. Um, for what might be a long uh, main section as well. So do forgive us. But um, um, Dan, have you got anything else before we uh, take a little break? Absolutely not. I think they've heard enough from me. <laughs> and me, because I haven't done anything. I still managed to spend 20 minutes talking about not doing anything. Um, so we will take a break now and we'll come back with the far more entertaining than us, Damien and Tom. The hour grows late and bland of grey plastic comes seeking my counsel. You are sure of this, Blandalf? Yes, the event is fully painted. 
It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandalf. The commission painter. We must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com. You have elected the way of paint. And welcome back after the break. And we're here for a special Council of Elrond. We have special guests today. And we're very happy to welcome Damien and Tom of GBHL podcast channel and SBG magazine fame. How are you both doing, guys? Great, thanks. Yeah, I was, I was kind of waiting. I was yeah. like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're so skilled at this, but yeah, I was, I was waiting. Damien's usually the, the, um, the, the <laughs> front of house. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of the, the nice way of putting it, front of house. So I was waiting for him to give this enthusiastic hello. But I thought hello. that was spectacularly polite, though. Yeah, I was going to say, you're both, yeah. both so polite. And I've got the power of editing as well, so I can edit that sound out and no one's going to know why you're talking about it, which would be... Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, very well, though. Very well. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is this is very cool. No, it's good. To, it's really nice to um, to have you both on. I've, I know, I've been following the, the game for a while. I've talked about another podcast, but just in case you two probably don't know, but... Before, long before I started playing SPG a couple of years ago now, my connection with the game was actually watching the planter. Um, that's pretty much all I did was watch the planter. I always wanted I'm to so play sorry. the game. <laughs> I know. So you, you, a, lot, a lot of this is your, both of your faults, really. But um, um, <laughs> so it's, it's just the way I kept in touch with the game. I quite like the kind of the loose kind of podcasty style chat of the thing. So I kind of added you to my podcast rotation really and uh and i knew that one day i'd play the game so anyway that's enough about oh, wow. enough about me watching i mean me um treating you like um golden gods or anything like that uh, <laughs> <laughs> um what, what we normally do when we have guests on we like to sort of give yourself a bit of a, a talk about your, your hobby background and how you got into to gaming and things this can be as detailed as you want can be a couple of minutes whatever you whatever you're comfortable really with really um there will be a few listeners that don't know who you are i appreciate that an awful lot of listeners listening to the podcast will be very familiar with both of you um so tom would you like to kick us off can do so yeah hobby background um It'll be slightly different to Damien because he's got a long, long history. Um, I've been doing stuff since I was about 16, which is, crikey, 14 years ago now. Um, but my only wargaming experience is Lord of the Rings, um, strategy battle game. So um, I had one friend who was into it, um, like the models that he had. Um, and then on my 16th birthday, thought I should I should do this. Um, my, my dad does model railway, so um i'd been exposed to the modeling side of things and then he helped me out at the start which was good so i had a at least i didn't have to go out and buy millions of paints <laughs> but it did mean that my early hobby history up until about <laughs> three years ago was all on enamel based paints which was probably knocked five years off my life um, <laughs> it's absolutely dreadful stuff because you have terps and um especially for in a confined space that is it's not good to be around and i when I was in my first year of working, I was in a little flat with one room and I'd fall asleep. I'd do some painting late at night and then fall asleep in the same room that just had terps filling it. So, um, yeah. It does explain an awful lot, doesn't it? It does explain an awful <laughs> lot. Um, but yeah, I, I got the Minds of Moria set as my first um, 
purchase, which was really cool. And then weirdly gambling with Banner because I thought that model was cool and uh, Rohan, uh, Six Riders of Rohan um, was my kind of first non, I don't know why, but that was my first non um, box set purchase. Um, yeah, and um, in terms of actually doing stuff in the community, I didn't go to a tournament until I'd finished university and it was, there was a doubles tournament at, at Warhammer World um, just after I finished university and I went with my friend Chris because it, it was a doubles competition and game two we met Damien um, and his, his, his partner Chris um, and uh, yeah, things snowballed from there. <laughs> Was it, say. was it love of Tolkien and films that kind of attracted you to the game? Is that what? It's Damien's looks, really. That, that, <laughs> that, that attracted me to, to more of the game. No, um, yeah, I was, I was already a big fan of Lord of the Rings. So, um, yes, yeah, and um, I'd, play, I'd play it with my friend, um, and he'd had it for a few years, and he was very into Lord of the Rings. We didn't play the proper rules, old lads. We played our... Cheated. Um, yeah, our made-up versions of the rule to simplify things. So we we didn't even use the wound chart or might or anything. We just heroes would kill stuff on a four. Other things would if you weren't a hero, you killed things on a five. And to wound a hero, you needed a six. That was it. But I think a lot of people start like that anyway. Whether it's because they started as as kids. I know when I first started gaming, playing Warhammer Fantasy and things. That rule book was quite daunting, so you probably didn't play all the rules or use skin exactly. or certain things. And I've got a five-year-old who's nowhere near learning to play the game properly, but I'm already thinking of ways to. Well, he's got a few models, and when we get to the point of him wanting to, you know, being disciplined enough to actually want to roll dice rather than just sort of knock them over, um, <laughs> and that's the kind of thing I'd want want to do myself is to simplify it and say, right, you need you know, yeah. a four for this or a five for that. It just makes sense. So I can, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. What about your um your, your favourite aspect to the the hobby? Then are you is it are you a painter? Are you a, a rules mechanics guy? I've got an inkling on this already, but uh... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know actually. Um, I well, it's not even rules mechanics. I, I, I believe it or not, I used to enjoy going through the stats of each model <laughs> and making making up stuff like it was the first articles in SBG. The kind of who's the most underpointed or overpointed i enjoyed messing around with that kind of thing which i'm sure to 99.5 percent of the listeners sounds like the most dreadful thing on earth i may have had that in mind when i was thinking about yeah. it um but yeah i enjoyed that I, I i do enjoy the painting um for the most part i get i, I guess with anything I, I get frustrated if it's not quite going how i want it to go but I, I do enjoy the painting. The putting stuff together, it depends. If it falls together nicely, or if it's something like resin, then I quite enjoy putting it together. If it's not easy, then I don't. Yeah. Some of the old metal putting a horse together, I hate to that stuff. Yeah, and the gap and just afterwards. would rather have paid somebody to do it <laughs> <laughs> than do it myself. But um, when, once you've got super glue and little bits of filed metal on your hands, yeah, I wasn't... <laughs> That, that wasn't always the most fun i concur definitely. Um, and then uh, what have you got a current project at the moment i mean other than the magazine and things are you uh i haven't seen obviously you haven't seen planted for ages so i have no idea what the what you're doing for gaming at the moment no yeah um so took me i a while to find out as well pardon <laughs> took me a while to find out yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah um well weirdly i, I 
I kind of started lockdown and was I didn't have my paint station set up, so I hadn't got anything going, and I kind of felt that I should really use the time and do something productive. So I um I set up my paint station and I wanted to just get a random model out that I felt would be cool to paint. Um, that wasn't really anything to do with what I needed to do. And I picked the old, it was, it's a Ford World Dragon because I'd had it undercoated for getting on for 10 years. And um, it's just sat there, not even in a box because it's a bit big to fit in a box. So it's just been out being lonely and in Halford's grey primer for many years. So I um, I painted that up and that felt really good. So then I kind of went back to a project that I briefly i'd kind of got a little bit of the way through because i started it for the issue eight of the magazine which was um moran and orcs um and i'd also bought some i'd bought some metal orcs when they did the made to order um the the old metal model orcs which were really cool i had zagdush and i had an old metal catapult and an old metal siege bow so i kind of built up all of those stuff and put them on matt davies generation shift um kind of minister of the Osgiliath bases or whatever he calls them so that they're not um, <laughs> what, um, white stone. Broken White City. Broken right? White City, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not Broken White Minister of the City. Um, Absolutely not. But yeah, they're, they're wonderful bases. So yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing that actually. And um, it's it's um, it pains me to say, but I, I was kind of half inspired by Damien who'd done some nice work, <laughs> done some nice work on his um, Moran and Force recently. And, <laughs> Um, you'll have seen his hobby vlogs. You won't have seen mine because I don't do them. But you'll have seen him his on them. And actually, I was I was using, for the most part, using his recipe as well. So they're okay. basically they're basically like uh, three quarters as good as Damien's in terms of the actual painting. But I'll say the bases are better because mine are um, enhanced by Matt Davies' <laughs> quality sculpting. You've just seen a classic example of Tom Harrison there. What he'll do is he'll, he'll start by sounding like he's going to give you a compliment <laughs> and then smack you down at the end. Very, classic very, very skillfully done as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Actually, to be the the, the troll, um, uh, I um, like listening to Damien's hobby blog on the, on the troll, the catapult troll, because, um, yeah, it was cool to paint him up. And um, Damien did a really good job of his, and I enjoyed cool. painting that. And I think I've done an a nice job on mine but that would not have been possible without Damien chatting about his so to be fair Damien's done some good work there <laughs> this is legit the nicest time he's ever been going on yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you just offered him some money over there yeah uh, can we do like can we come on this every week it's like therapy <laughs> um oh, yeah good. so anyway that's what that's what I've been up to and um I'll finish off my orcs and then I'm I'm, I'm toying with what to do I I, I kind of half finished iron hills so that would be good to do i kind of am in that limbo place where i've got a lot of unfinished projects which i'm sure people can relate to uh-huh. and i kind of just want to get some of those finished so they're not hanging over me yeah i know the feeling so you'll, you'll start a new one then that's usually what happens in that situation when you have lots of unfinished <laughs> things to do start something else <laughs> No, it's good to hear you've been doing stuff. As I said, it's um, for for those of, of us that don't know you outside of watching you on the planter. It's um, we don't get to find out what you've been what you've been doing. So it's good to hear you've uh, been carrying on. So Damien, I'm going to uh, I'll let you talk about your hobby background, and then I can pretend I don't know what you're you've been doing for your your current pro- hobby projects and things. <laughs> I haven't been watching you at all on the internet. But yeah, do you want to give us a little? <laughs> do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown of your your hobby background? Yeah. So. 
it's a bit longer than Tom's because I've got about ten years on him or something. So I <laughs> I first got into I first got into things. I, I read the I was read the Hobbit at school, and um, a teacher gave me a copy of Lord of the Rings that some people already know about because I've probably talked about it on the plan or whatever. But um, and I was ten, and it just it blew my mind. And I think I liked other fantasy stuff at the time. And somehow around that time, I found out about Games Workshop, and I got I got the Advanced Hero Quest box. Is the first thing I ever had, um, and it's interesting what you were saying about the rule books earlier. That I, I remember, I've I've never played a game of it in my life. I, I opened it up, and the rule book just absolutely baffled me. It was probably about sixty pages long, but chunky, you know, I was it? used to Ludo or whatever, and um, and I was just like, this is madness. But I did paint some of the models, and then at the time, you could still buy all the Hero Quest expansions uh-huh. in W H Smith's, like the I don't know if anyone would remember, but I think there's one called the Ogre Horde. Yeah, my and there's like plastic ogres, and one that was like an, an undead expansion, and the Wizards of Morcar, I think, was yeah, one. That was it. And um, so I picked those up just for the models. And there was a there was a friend of the family I had, um, who, um, was really into Tolkien, and he when he found out I liked the books, he invited me over, and he had this he had a board like a gaming board up on his wall. It was a huge. It was the the full size of his bedroom wall, and it folded down wow. to become like a gaming table. And it was so big, it had a hole in the middle, so you could crawl underneath and be inside it. Um, and it just, it just blew my mind. And he, his stuff was all like fifteen mil historical stuff. Yeah. But this, that's how I found out really about kind of miniature wargaming. And he, he helped me paint uh, these models again with the, with the enam- enamel stuff to begin with. And then gradually through that, I think I found, um, you know, I found White Dwarf. I think I started with one seven eight something like that was my first White Dwarf. Um, I probably would be about eleven at this point, and um, and just start and started being drawn towards Warhammer. And um, I remember getting the Warhammer. I think it's the is it fourth edition box, it's the one with the high elves and the goblins. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's fourth edition, and I got that for Christmas one year. Um, it was just chock full of high elves and goblins, and it that that was my real kind of no looking back. And that was the one I remember reading that rule book and gradually understanding it and then starting playing Warhammer for years and basically then just um, spent about 10 years um, in, in the hobby and kind of um, playing anything fantasy related really. The only the only sci-fi thing I ever did was Necromunda. I was never really into the 40k stuff but I did, um, I loved the original Warhammer Quest and I, I did Man of War and Mordheim and basically anything in the old world and um, I had a big wood elf arm in a big vampire counts army were my main things and I just, I played that for about 10 years. And then in 2001, of course, the Fellowship of the Ring comes out, and I would have been 18, I think. And um, I was crazy excited about that, and um, got. I remember Christmas Christmas morning, 2001. I got you know I got the Fellowship of the Ring starter set and the Metal Fellowship of the Ring, and it was like the best Christmas ever. You know, like you suddenly had like, this this hobby that you loved combining with this world that you loved at the same time. They were making movies of it, and it was just absolutely spectacular. And I assumed that's what I was then going to do for the. You know, I was. I remember ditching all my Warhammer armies and thinking I'm going to get into this in a big way. And instead, I um I went to uni, <laughs> and and this is the story that I think 90% of gamers have told. Um, that I kind of went to uni, didn't take any paints. Or anything, and just completely dropped out of the hobby. Yeah, the same for me when I went. I was a couple, of, a few years before you, but um, yeah, I'd uh, I did the same thing. I went, I 
to uni in 96. Um, um, so a couple of years older than you, maybe about five or something. Um, and I did the same thing. So I just left everything at home. And when Lord of the Rings came out, I um, I was just first year out of uni, I think, sharing a house with friends. And none of them knew I'd ever gained and I wasn't about to tell them. And I can remember stealth buying um that, the first editions um hiding them in different bags when i came out of games games workshop this is how insecure i was um and getting them home and hiding them under the bed and they were there for about a year and sort of got them out and looked at them every now and then but i thought oh, i can't tell anyone i want to play these games and i ended up binning them and just when we moved house i just thought i don't want him to see them so i just shut them in a bin line and bin and bin them and it was a number of years later before i uh finally got back into it but anyway it's not about me but i just thought it was worth mentioning that at that point it's it's solidarity i like it (laughs) but yeah so i i I didn't as memory serves i i I don't think i was particularly trying to hide it it was just i didn't i didn't really feel i had space Mm -hmm. i didn't really feel like it was i I needed it there or anything or or time or something i'm not really sure but um yeah so i I was always interested in it and obviously i loved the films i adored the films when they came out and i still but I just, I, I guess, um, if you, I, I was kind of on my own at that point. I, I then lost touch with my gaming buddy. So to play it, I would have had to paint up everything for the Lord of the Rings for both sides, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any gaming buddies at that point. So instead, I kind of just fell back slightly into Warhammer. And so, I don't know, a few times a year, I'd meet up with some old friends and we'd play Warhammer or we'd play Man of War for, you know, just just as catch-up games. And I'd, I'd occasionally pick up a White Dwarf just to follow what was going on in the world. I didn't. I never. I didn't paint any of my Lord of the Rings stuff. I played a bunch of games of it, particularly like with the unpainted models and and in games workshops, just to, around the Fellowship of the Ring era. But I never painted a single model. Um, and then, yeah, basically finished uni, was still just playing the occasional catch-up game. And the story that I'll I will tell because it's important, but I've told before, is that in two thousand and ten or two thousand two thousand nine, I think, I was then I was a, a family. We'd gone away for a family party with with my fiance, and we went to a hobby craft. and She loved loves crafting. She's my wife now. It's not it's not a disastrous end. It's not like it didn't work <laughs> out. Um, but um, she loves crafting. And she always used to kind of drag me around these hobby craft shops. And so I was doing the dutiful husband bit one day, and she said, as we were at the till or something, she said, "There's a book over there, a Lord of the Rings book." Um, that you might like and I went over and it was it was the blue one ring rule book yeah and it was on sale in there like you know clearance box and she the, the phrase I really remember was her saying um, isn't this that game you used to play and me saying yeah and she said would you like to play it again <laughs> and I was like and I kind of went and I you know I hadn't thought about this stuff in about five years and I went, yeah I think I would um, and she was like I'll get it for you then and the poor little lamb didn't know what she did um <laughs> And so she picked up the blue book. I went home. I fell in love with it all over again. I went back to my parents' house, dug out my Fellowship of the Ring and my starter set and some other models I'd picked up 10 years ago and then just dove back into it. And and then I haven't really looked back since. I went to um, my, my first Lord of the Rings tournament. I've been to Warhammer World a few times for Warhammer tournaments when I was a kid. Uh-huh. But um, that was before it was a castle and it was just a big empty kind of like industrial hall sort of thing yeah, yeah. and um and then i went to my first tournament in 2012 and it was a doubles tournament and in the second game i <laughs> met a guy um across the table from me and we shook hands and that was basically the first time i, I made a friend at a lord of the rings event and got involved in this wonderful community and then as said friend said 
about 10 minutes ago, it all snowballed from there. <laughs> Did indeed. <laughs> um, so um, do you have a favourite aspect of the hobby yourself? Are you, uh, you gaming, painting, uh, YouTubing? Um, no, it's, de- it's definitely not YouTube. <laughs> that's, that's why it's, that's dropped off. Um, it's, pr- it's probably playing. It's probably playing thematic games. If I, if I had to, pick, if I had to, if I had a completely free day and could do whatever I wanted with no time or space pressure, I think what I'd like to probably do is play some form of narrative scenario or or thematic matched up game. Uh-huh. I think would be you know with 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 a good friend, you know, someone with someone I, I know really well and have a laugh um warhammer world great for that because you know a warhammer world tournament is is just the best thing in the world but um but yeah i, but I do really love painting i really enjoy painting like at night it chills me out my, my work my, i'm a university lecturer which involves an awful lot of work on computers so um coming home and doing something that's completely away from the screen uh-huh. it's very tactile completely chills me out it's my equivalent of kind of reading a book um at bedtime yeah, I, I think I've talked about it on a previous podcast, but I think I think hobbies really, really healthy for for yeah. mind and for well being. And, yeah. um, and I really struggle to understand people who don't have a hobby. I think people have interests, but not everyone has what I would call a hobby. I think what yeah. match of the day in like in football for me isn't a hobby. Maybe some people would think it is, but I do find when people don't have one, I think, well, what do you do? What do you think about when you're watching the telly in the evening? Well, you know, what what, what, you, what are you <laughs> on Facebook you? for yeah. if it's not for, for gaming? Such a loser. Why aren't you yeah. playing toy soldiers? <laughs> exactly, exactly. They got it all wrong. Um, but like, yeah, I think it's very healthy, so I can understand why, why you would, uh, why you like that side most. And then what about I you? I agree with Tom about the cleaning up. Cleaning up's hands down the worst part of the hobby. I despise it. I would if I had the money, I would pay someone to clean up every model, <laughs> I, and, and base coat it because base coat is basically just undercoating. I hate that as well. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you start painting a model until you've got your base coats down. Personally, um, you can, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you to a certain extent. I probably paint slightly differently now, but um, mm. yeah, so you're, you're significantly better. Than <laughs> <It's me. a> little... <laughs> you're really good no it's just different styles of doing thing in airbrushing but i hate building and when i've got a big commission yeah. on with hundreds and hundreds of models it's definitely the bit that i uh, i would genuinely pay for. more for models if they came assembled and um kind of clear of mold lines uh-huh. i would i don't know what the premium would be but i would if they you know if you were too available you could buy your iron hills goat riders um in a blister or assembled ready to go by a professional i would I would definitely look at what that price was. Don't <laughs> <laughs> think there'd have to be a new where they're building warehouse space at the moment, but a sweatshop where people build you. <laughs> well, <laughs> if anyone's interested in making money out of me, they know how to do it now, right? <laughs> oh dear, but no, I, I do agree. Pay, building models, it's exactly the same as you, Tom. Actually, if you're building a, a single model or something, and it goes together nice. It's actually quite enjoyable mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. when there's vast numbers of them, or it's something metal or something. It's, the new um the new forge world stuff's incredible mm-hmm. I've, I've done quite a lot of that now and I, i've been amazed at how well it goes together like even something as big as like the you know the gundabad trolls yeah some of them go together with so little gap filling required yeah and dale i remember dale mounted just slots together and you don't need any green stuff and it's about nine pieces it's incredible a lot of the things so that's, that's nice a lot of the ones they've designed if they've done any 3D design on them, and yeah. then they, they're able to kind of cut them in a way, aren't they, for moulding that yeah. not just benefits the moulding, but also benefits them putting them together. You can see that with the new plastic sprues as well, that they're engineered in a way that 
they slot together so there's less yeah. mold lines and things the only the only downside sometimes is you can't do anything in sub assembly so you have to put it all together whereas before you might want to leave certain bits off to so you could paint them quicker but that's the only the only downside for the the newer style but i much prefer it. it's really good i don't know how true it is but i have heard that actually when they're designing things in 3d nowadays they actually start with the points where things connect mm-hmm. they start with the slots uh, and outwards which obviously when they used to do it in green stuff they'd sculpt a miniature and then work it out to cut it up to, yeah. to mold yeah. so i think that is a, a massive uh sort of part of it because that's that's only uh second-hand information because i've got someone who used to work in that part of the uh business who used to work in casting and that but yeah. apparently that is that is one of the things that gets done these days which would explain why it's so much more you know um i remember the old metal models used to get back in the day and you know, these two morphed bits of metal you'd have to round yeah, together, yeah. try and glue and then fill with green stuff pretty much to hold the whole thing together. Yeah, yeah well, it's certainly believable because, some, you know, you, you can feel them, both the plastic and the forger ones, you, they they suddenly snap together in like, you know, you, you feel exactly where it is. It's, I, f- I find that really incredible as somebody, you know, can't do that sort of thing. That you, there's no kind of, you when you're assembling those plastic hero kits, there's never any chance that you put it in the wrong place because you can literally feel when it's in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need to pin anything anymore because it's all designed mm. to sort of plug in that way. If you uh, talk, think about what you just said there, Dan, um, if you on Facebook, Trish Carden's got her own Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So she, I think, don't think she works at, at GW Forge or anymore, nah, but she there. shares loads and loads of her old sort of original yeah. sculpts and things. And a lot of them are in bits because they only survived that first sort of master molding process. Yeah. And, but it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's been wonderful because she was she was the monster sculptor when mm-hmm. I was into fantasy. So, you know, I remember all like Eltharian's Griffin and the yeah. original Wood Elf Dragon and yeah, yeah. some of some of the kind of kits that are still in my my cabinet in my parents' house. You know, that the classic Warhammer fantasy monsters were all Trish. Yeah, absolutely. So anyone that's listened to this, that's sort of interested in the older school sort of um, GW and Forge Wars stuff. If you're on Facebook, search Trish Card and Miniatures Design, I think it is. Yeah. So I think it's her own page now, but quite often she will share. Um, she did Gullivar uh, recently, didn't she? Yes, she yeah, really up. interesting. And just show you the old original sculpt and a little, sometimes a little bit of discussion point around it. It's just quite nice to pop up in your, pop ups in your feed. It's really good. Um, so pretending I don't know, because I didn't just watch your um, latest hobby vlog yesterday, but what's your, what's your current project, Damien? Um, so the thing I've just started is hobbits. I've, I've started a Shire army um, that, I'm, that I've got this mad idea to try and finish by the end of the year. So I've I've had I've had most of it in a box for years, and then I supplemented it at the start of the year. So I've got basically the best part of a hundred hobbits, and um, I've started work on it. I took the plunge because I <laughs> I've tried to play Gandalf the White for six months, and I've just chucked him in a drawer. I just can't do it. Um, and so yeah, I'm I'm working on my first war band of fifteen hobbits. I can't wait to see uh, you get through. I think I'm sure you'll get through it all. I remember listening to your video. Yeah, by you're 2037, a cons- definitely. A little bit concerned about. It. See, I'm mad. I'd just do it all in one big batch because I'm oh, I paint stuff in really weird ways. <laughs> most, people, <laughs> most people would, and I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. But I couldn't do it in the um, the smaller batches because I hate repeating a certain colour on the same model. The thing is, you you, you choose and <laughs> then you and then you pin to it. Right? You know, I spent ages debating what the right batch for hobbits would be. Yeah, and I went with fifteen in here, but it's also about the total because I've got sixty. Yeah, so I was like, that's only four batches. Whereas, if you had, if I had less, I think I'd do smaller batches. Yeah, you know, and it's it's about kind of psychologically. It's all it's all nonsense because it takes exactly the same amount of time. But 
it's about psychologically being able to get through it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to do whatever works for you. Like I said, I, I yeah. would do bigger. Have, have you mixed up the sculpts so you're kind of like, right, I'm going to do these 15, and they've got predominantly yeah. green shirts or yeah. something like that. <laughs> that's exactly got... it. I think I think I just send, I, I don't rewatch the stuff before I put it up unless I've made a mistake on it. So, But I think at the end of the Hobby Vlog, I, I descend into kind of madness as I <laughs> try and work it out live what the best way to do it is or something. And um, what I ended up doing was deciding that I wanted to have a range of colours. They'd all have kind of brown and tan and white on them. Yeah. But I wanted to have a range of nice bright colours that are basically simple as you like, red, yellow, green and blue. And so I've got I've split I've split all the sculpts up into a third. And so I've got a third of them now and I've just done the reds. I started with the reds. So I've got two packs of militia. So two of every militia scat pack, one full archer pack and one duplicate and then two of the sheriffs. Yeah. So sense. it's it's every hobbit sculpt, basically. And I've just painted them all red to to ensure my red's consistent. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a sound. And then, process. yeah. And so, what will happen is if I complete the project, it's brilliant. <laughs> if I don't complete the project, I'll just have this really weird red Hobbit army. <laughs> I'm sure you'll complete it. It's, um, I'm sure what you're alluding to is whether I'm guessing you're aiming for Throne of Skulls that may or may not happen later in the year. Uh, so, uh, I couldn't possibly say. You don't know me. <laughs> I couldn't possibly say. I'm, why I'm would I, why similar, would I be building an army room. towards an event at the end of the year? Why would you suggest it was Throne of Skulls? It makes no sense to you me. You don't like Throne of Skulls, so maybe yeah, no, I'll be pushing it a little bit. Um, I've, I've got a similar dilemma myself. It's, um, it's not my next project, but um, I'm kind of thinking I really still want to build what I have planned and. But I'm also for like, throwing the skulls. Yeah, but I'm also because yeah, yours like, last year was incredible. You you had the as an old bazaar board, right? Last yes, year. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I've got something planned for this year, which is a bit smaller, but um, if it doesn't happen, is it going to be fresh enough to then take maybe another twelve months later? Um, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but then I'd like to own own it anyway. So um, well, that's where I was. My, I was like, if I. If I what if if it happens, I have to start painting this in July and spend five months painting hobbits. But then if it doesn't happen after that, I'll just go quietly mad. Uh, if I start it, I'll definitely do it. I, 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 you'll do it, I'm sure you will. But whether yeah, what I decide to do is paint paint the basic army and do none of the kind of conversions or board. So uh, the idea would be that if it doesn't happen till next year, I'll then put I will have done the legwork, and then yeah. next year I'll do the kind of creative stuff. Yeah, that won't work for me. I'm doing Fangorn and I want to do sort of Flotsam and Jetsam. So there's the scene where the oh, hobbits are smoking and all of the food's floating around. So there's going to be some, the bases are going to have to, you know, maybe be some resin water on there and things. So I'm going to have oh, to plan it all as part of the build. So if I don't, if I don't get it, I don't get it right. Um, so it was all, all ends with Mary and Pip, presumably. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's so... You, you got i think it's five i can't remember what, what i worked out it was ages i came up with the list it's pretty you get 50 points left at the end i think it doesn't quite fit but that's oh, the, that's good that's for the throwing the skulls though yeah. that's what you I, I, what's I, that you're playing 50 points down oh <laughs> have a favorite game vote, so. also you've got resin bases here's a favorite army vote people yeah, love resin love resin, resin. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's going to be fun. It'd be a fun modeling, modeling project anyway. Though I did know it's popping up in GBHL feed yesterday. Lewis Collins is doing lots of very amazing sculpting work on, yeah, on Treebeard yeah. and so on. So, like, so he's probably doing something for him as well. And his I remember like laughing with Matt Davis about that last year when we, we basically spent every day for, I don't know, four months sending each other pictures of our boards. Yeah, yeah. Sort of boosting each other so, on a bit he showed me the resin port i was like the entire front of your board is resin I was like, yeah I was like, well congratulations on your win sir 
<laughs> them nerds love their resin. Yeah, like that. that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it's required in this in the scene from the oh, film. Oh, it sounds beautiful, and I've never <laughs> seen that before. No. That was the. Hope. I think that'd be a really really cool thing. And they're all right now, you know. And yeah, I think they'll. I'll... If the games will either be quick, well, it'll be quick probably. I imagine at that kind of points level, there'd be the odd. I might roll the odd scenario, which helps out, but uh, it's more about modeling. Bludgeon's the most fun rule in the game, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I've, I played Ents in the last round um, last year, and um, yeah, it was good fun. I did, I did win only because he couldn't get on all the objectives. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Um, so um, it's very easy to go off on a tangent on these things. And, uh, it's not about me. It's about, it's about you guys today. Dan, did you have any more questions before we move on to talk about the magazine? Well, it's, um, obviously, you've both got a bit of a gaming legacy going on. Um, obviously, speaking for those of us who've only come over in the last year or so, um, which I am, uh, what's your favourite model so, to each of you over the, the breadth of all of the middle earth whether it's available still or not but you know what's your favorite oh that's huge sculpt favorite visual sculpt yeah although i suppose some of the little vignettes and stuff like the the death of gothmog or whatever if you wanted to go tom do you want to go not really um (laughs) ah yeah it it is really hard i mean if i had to pick one it, it certainly becomes really hard um, I think that's literally what he's asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, go and let you have top three if it makes it easier. Okay, I think. Oh, I was going to go. I think sentimental value. I love gambling with the banner, um, just because oh. it looks so cool with the the horse. In terms of model, I mean, I don't know. I kind of picked two of the newer ones. I think smile just for its magnificent um, um <laughs> smog smog i think has to be up there as one of the best models in the range and then i don't know maybe someone like the um the forge world thrandul i'm just trying to think which of those but some of the newer ones yeah. or the or the three hunters set those kind of things just yeah. the quality of the new sculpts i think one of those deserves to be in that in that list I think we, we've, I, I can't remember what we decided at any point, but we've definitely talked about this probably on the Palantir at some point and in various forums. And we almost always say that Smaug can't be allowed in. Yeah. It's almost like Smaug, Smaug has to be the best model, doesn't it? It's like, it's, you, know, you know, it depends what you're looking for, but it's kind of got to be the best. And it is incredible. You know, I'm looking at my box now where it's been for five years. Um, but <laughs> for me, I, 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 I don't know. I don't have one, but top three i would definitely say thrall was in there for me mm-hmm. i think i think thrall's absolutely spectacular um, yeah mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful beautifully beautifully detailed i also really love the keeper of the dungeons mm-hmm. i think that's an amazing model and what's very what's very confusing to me is i'm pretty sure the new keeper of the dungeons is better so ergo the new keeper of the dungeons must be in my top three models in the ring um which is weird but it's difficult, uh, isn't it? It's really difficult. I don't think I could answer it, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm glad to ask, Dan asked you to. <laughs> <laughs> go on, chip in, Sue. Go on. Honestly, Talk I don't you. think I could answer it. I don't. I don't know. I think they've. It's like I have similar problems with if someone says, "What's your favorite album ever?" When I'm 42 years old, I've listened to a lot of music. I can't, you know, at different know times one. and different kind of uh, <laughs> um, periods. Jimmy Eat World, Bleed American. 
it's a good one. It's a good Ooh. one. But wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. I would say off topic, but there you go. There's not a duff track on that. <laughs> I like it. It wouldn't be my probably wouldn't make my top ten to be honest with you. But I just I'd struggle to um to pick one and I would with models as well. I think it's sort of you, I really, and things. I really, really adore the jumping Bilbo as well. The Dol Gordor Bilbo Baggins. That's a beautiful model. Yeah, so know. dynamic for a Hobbit. Yeah, I really want that, but it's hen's teeth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just lucky enough to get that when it came out. So you know, you know, when they're available and there's no, you, you can't ever dream that you know in three years' time it'll be 150 quid or whatever it is now. But yeah, you know, hopefully that'll be back on a made to order. And my, my, I remember saying this to Tom. This was definitely one of the ones I settled on. Um, just a completely out of the shell. I really love the plastic oin. Mm. Yeah. The, from the Thorin's Company kit. That's that's a beautiful sprue. And oin in particular, I, I just think it's an amazing model. Beautiful model. Lovely beard detail. Yeah, I agree. We, when um, um, uh, Steve and Ben were on, we Ben was talking about that sprue, and I we were saying that yeah. oh, we think it's probably the best out of a plastic sprue because considering it's up against mostly troops, um, yeah, exactly, it's the best yeah. sprue around, yeah. isn't it? It's incredible. And yeah, it's they still hold up really, really well, even against the newer stuff now. Even maybe not so much the way they go together, but I think it's right up there with with almost like the new Gandalf and you new, like you say, the three hunters, Tom, that kind of thing. They're really, mm-hmm. really nice. It's hard to see past them in terms of pure quality. But I definitely yeah. think some of the older original sculpts have got some real charm to them as well. Maybe the 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 quality of the sculpt is very good. Maybe the pose isn't quite as as dynamic, and that's just the change of materials and materials yeah, and design yeah. process. Yeah, as far as companies, amazing. Mm-hmm. What about I really you? love the um, Forge World Thorin as well. The the one with his coat and Orcris from you know the. Um, oh, oh, Dual thing. The dual one. No, no, the the alternative Thorns company oh, that were right, event yeah. exclusive yes. or Warhammer World exclusive. The ones that are in the Unexpected January rule book. Yeah, I know the Because that I remember, you know, I was I was I was there when that book came out and everyone was like, Oh, they'll be out next month, they'll be out in two months, oh they'll be out in six months, oh they'll be are they not coming out? And when they when they finally came out, I just think that, that's just such a cool photo. Because I actually think Thorin's probably one of the worst on the Thorin's company sprue. It's mm-hmm. just a bit of, of a naff sculpt and so getting him with Orcrist in his coat was just that's just awesome the pose isn't brilliant on that one it's not it's it's a little bit nothing isn't it it's kind mm. of slightly running forward isn't it? Um, do you know i'd never even seen those forge world thorin's company until you've just mentioned that i've just literally looked them up and what times we live in oh, i came to the game yeah <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There's a Christmas present for you. They're amazing, right? Are they, uh, I'm going to have to look these up and see if we can still get them, but obviously I'm not going to No, they're not, they're not available anymore, sadly. Yeah. Uh, so, they're in the, in the Hobbit Unexpected Journey rule, but when it came out, there's loads of photos of them, so everyone thought they were going to come out any time. And I believe this, the story they said, like when the, this is in 2016, was that they were never meant to be released. They were like the prototypes that they sent Warners to say this is what the dwarfs uh-huh. would look like. And then they obviously got approved. And I remember there was a seminar in um, in Bugman's, and and Adam said something like, "You wouldn't want them to be released, would you?" <laughs> Bugman went mad. <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." And he was, like, "Oh." And then whatever it was, nine months later, they were released at um, Warhammer Fest. That, that yeah. Achilles, Achilles sculpt is ridiculous. Yeah, Feely's amazing as well. Feely, with his two two dags out, going, come mm. on. Mm. Loads load of them are brilliant. They're, they're gorgeous. Might get but I reckon you'll get a made to order for them before too long. 
there's a lot of low hanging fruit with baseball with those kind of things that will just create so much positivity and uh, community excitement just by just by going yeah. let's just let's do a, do a run of those and people will love it yeah. so you won't get that out of the system right yeah no, i agree i agree oh, yeah, we're waiting i'm oh, sorry we were waiting on one weren't we there was one that was going to come with yeah um leggy and gimli on horse was it yes. that kind of thing haldir's elves yeah, yeah, it's all the Rohan stuff, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. It's not. Like, I think Legging Gimli on horse is available, isn't it? That's now part of the. Oh, that's, yeah, with Aragon. So what, what the, was it? In it's that, the other so? Legolas. It's the Legolas was firing it, the bow from the horse. That's was it? Oh, uh, that one. Yeah, was it? Yeah, and Gimli on dead oak guy was that? One? Yeah, he was in there. The metal wag riders are in there. Oh yeah, nice. That's what I had earmarked. No doubt mm. that that will turn up in a few months when they start getting the yeah. productions back on. They've obviously got a lot yeah. of restocking to do, which makes things a little yeah. bit difficult for them to go ahead and do. Stuff like All that when time. you can't get cool, cool stuff, but yeah, when they when they got their got their production back up, when forty k ninth has died off a little bit, and then they can yeah. uh, get back on with it, no doubt. Yeah. Right then, so I think there's a bit of a natural end to that section there. Let's let's move on to um, talk about what we the main reason we got you on today is I want to talk about <laughs> um, SPG magazine because um, it's something quite unusual in in not just for for um, strategy battle game, but for for gaming sort of as a whole really there's not many fanzines out there that are put into proper print as well so um i don't know who wants to sort of kick us off really but so so where did it all start what, what made you both decide to produce a magazine uh, do you what are we doing here do you want to go i'll let, I'll let you go because you you started it <laughs> okay the, the, you, this is actually really serendipitous timing because we're just about to release issue 10 and we had a bit of a you know tenth birthday celebration in it, and so one of the articles in there is about where it started. Fantastic. So over the last sort of whatever it is nine months, we've actually spent a lot of time looking back. So we can answer this far better than we could have done a year ago, I think. Um, but basically, uh, in late 2013, um, there was no SBG stuff in White Dwarf. Really, um, the, the the game looked dead. Um, we'd, uh, I think we were just about to have the Destination Smaug release. I think it would have been then. Um, but there hadn't been anything in White Dwarf since the previous December. And so there just wasn't any of this content out there. And I used to love White Dwarf. And so I kind of came up with this idea that wouldn't it be great if there was a, a magazine, a fanzine or something, and kind of had this slightly belligerent approach of, well, if no one else is going to make it, I'll have a crack. And so I started knocking some ideas about I spoke to Kev Spector, who a lot of people will know, Deadmarsh Spector, uh-huh. um, about putting a painting guide into it. And he was really, this is all via the forums, by the way. This was pre pre the Facebook group. So it was all on like the one ring. Um, I think at that time, the GBHL Facebook group had about 300 people. God. In the UK, suggesting that, you know, they have events together or whatever. Um, which is kind of mad now. And so I suggested that to Kev, and he was like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd be very happy to do it for you and then i think i'd written an article i'd written the first, whatever my article is in the first issue i'd written that and was like well i'll put that in it and i wrote a scenario and for a tournament there was going to be a, there was a tournament in march one of the east grinstead tournaments and james clark kieran street and a certain tom harrison were all coming to my flat for that tournament uh-huh. and um they came, i suggested that they came down a day in advance um to play some games and said asked if they'd mind helping out on a project and um and they came down and we basically played this scenario in my lounge which is absurd now if you see what we're doing now with it <laughs> um we just played this game in my lounge and i took i took some photos of it as we went 
um, just just on a normal camera. And then we wrote that up, and that became the battle report. And then, um, my, it, it then gets a bit foggy. But I think what basically started happening was Tom start was like going, um, do, "Do you want any help?" Basically, like sort of saying, um, "Can I? Do you want me to proofread that or something?" And do you want to take over? Do you want? Is that is that a good time when when you get introduced? Yeah, I can't. I I I can't really remember. Well, I have a I have a memory of being at work and being really bored in a boring meeting. I hope. Well, there's no chance anyone from work will be. On that, <laughs> I was really bored in a meeting, and um, I was in the back of my mind just really excited about having done this bat rep and stuff. And I think you said, I think you had the idea of like floating the bat rep by us or whatever, and you know we had to write our pre-game thoughts. So maybe it was that, and I was just like, well, why don't I just proof the whole thing? I was like, I'm. <laughs> clearly bored right now I've, <laughs> this is something that sounds exciting to me mm. um so yeah i think i think it was something like that and i just messaged back um and yeah i was uh, from my perspective i was i was just kind of keen to um i don't really know because you know damien's more on the design side but maybe a very <laughs> a very um a very silly stories i'd just read the book eat shoots and leaves which is a fun grammar book so i was like yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm in the i'm in the proofreading zone so um <laughs> maybe slightly different motivations but um yeah I, I i also enjoyed white dwarf not not quite as ancient ones as damien um sadly he he was there in probably the golden era but i still really enjoyed some of the ones from when lord of the rings was earlier coming mm -hmm. out um you know in the later 2000s there was some good stuff um i remember some bat reps with adam trokin and things like that which were really cool yeah i think a lot yeah. of the um just to interrupt you sorry i think a lot of the early um spg content in those white dwarves felt a little but a little bit like earlier era warhammer in yeah. the earlier i know that's just me but it felt a little bit more kind of old school in its in its yeah, kind of yeah, approach yeah. i don't know if it's just the, the color palette of the models and the type of games you're playing it was it seemed a little bit more like the sort of the year i started reading white dwarfs which was a little bit before damien <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah anyway so yeah i mean it, it was it was it was a huge inspiration without a shadow of a doubt we wanted to there was something about the tone of white dwarf in the late 90s uh -huh. that we wanted to capture which was incredibly like friendly and kind of creative and and you got to know them all that was really important that you 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 always saw who was writing the articles and you, you knew what armies the different staff members were collecting and yeah. it was all very very personal kind of articles and then in there was a point i, I don't know exactly when I, I, I try not to be too kind of critical of other people's work and stuff but there was a point around 2010 maybe mm -hmm. when white dwarf started becoming really really kind of faceless mm -hmm. and they like they kind of it, it became ever more a, a kind of catalog and and i remember they, there was a point where they i think at one point when it was when it was the weekly white dwarf i remember i read a battle report in there and and it didn't mention the players it <laughs> there was a battle report that didn't mention at any point who was playing and didn't have any pictures of people yeah and it was just like it was just like a computer was playing it or something and it was just very very strange so definitely they, those white dwarfs of the late 90s were a kind of inspiration for the for the tone it was it was tom's idea actually to do we we have a page in there called the um hobby blog which is like where we just everyone who contributes to the issue writes a little passage about what they've been working on and puts a picture uh -huh. and they're now doing that again in white dwarf they, i think they call it like in the bunker or something mm -hmm. it, yeah it's that kind of stuff that they used to do that we wanted to make sure that 
you'd have that slightly um personable um content i guess yeah i think i think you nailed that really i think that's what that's what comes across and i maybe it was the company gw kind of grew didn't it and then and the yeah. more people you've got working there i think earlier white dwarfs it was very much it wasn't just a team of writers on there it was the designers that were writing yeah the white Dwarf. yeah and exactly that, yeah. that kind of expanded and grew and uh, the white dwarf team became more sort of um distinct from the rest of it maybe they kind yeah. of lost that a little bit i think they re- i don't think they'd worry about people criticizing it i think they recognized at the time they maybe lost some of the essence and that's why we've i think they've gone back a long now. way now though i think I, I don't really read it that much because i'm not into the other systems but yeah. it's it's a much it's much tone-wise similar to the old days now i think they've done really well on that yeah i still pick it up each month and i don't read it cover to cover to be honest with you but it's um i do it just for completion really and you know, yeah i can i can i can do it for work purposes it's research so to speak so but it's um it's definitely got that tone again they've got it back to to sort of more normal yeah. sort of things and i think viewing it through 42 year old man's eyes if i was you know the the 14 15 year old again watching it re- watching it reading it i'd have probably felt about it now as i as i did yeah exactly the, that's the back, hope back in the 90s so to speak I, I picked up an issue um a while back and there was an article about making some scenery out of a cardboard tube in there and yeah. i was like that's it that's it they're, they've they're remembered back. i was like they're back they're back you know it's important i think and it's um yeah, it, it goes absolutely. a long way to show that they're not just sort of this faceless corporate entity so um yeah so, you, yeah, so we were, oh sorry go, go ahead no it's just um there's one i always remember from old school white dwarfs because i've been despite being slightly younger I, i've been in the hobby for a long while there was a chap who used to write called mike he used to write about his gaming club and i always yeah. forget his surname. Yeah. walker and, white walker wasn't it? that's the one and yeah. you got to know all of his it yeah. was funny and you know you got to know his entire club that kind of thing i loved and like you i found that white dwarf became so impersonal yeah. I lost any interest in buying it and to be honest I've not picked it up again. I have recently flicked through a couple and I keep thinking about subbing again. It has apparently got a lot better, but it's not yeah, I mean, it, the same. It'll never get back there because that that no. was them at their height of kind of craziness where it was just a bunch of mates doing what they wanted and I remember though I remember those articles so well and they had footnotes, didn't they? And his cat was like a major character in them. <laughs> yeah. And it was this really weird kind of guy who was just like writing about these really funny articles but the you know as soon as it got a bit corporate they're going to go well obviously we can't do this this is gibberish <laughs> yeah, you lose yeah, it's, you. but it was brilliant i remember those articles with the great fondness you got yeah. to know your personalities in this club and i and like everyone has in their own gaming groups yeah everyone got different personalities and you felt like you were almost part of it you're looking yeah. in the window and I, I used to love that yeah absolutely but yeah, so we were we were there, and that that's around like I think the middle of that year. I think we're in like April May time, and we needed a few more articles to, to fill it out. We did we didn't want the whole thing to be written by me and Tom. We want you know we didn't we didn't want it to be a kind of vanity project of our magazine. We wanted it to feel like like White Dwarf again, like with lots of contributors and stuff. Yeah. And so we we already had Kev on board for the painting guide, which his first painting guide was just spectacular. It was exactly what we needed. He did a thing about how how to paint white horses, and it, it it did so much, I think, to make the magazine feel like a hobby magazine. Yeah. And we asked James and Jamie from the GBHL, as it, as it was, to write a kind of tactics article about cavalry. Yeah. Um, which was good, and that was it, I think, wasn't it, Tom? I think I think those yeah. were the only people we had involved for the first one. Yeah, because we filled it out with the event reviews. Yes, we had an event review section in the first one, which. 
which again it's like it's like talking to your dad about how magazines used to be in the 90s that like it seemed it seemed so obvious that we should do event reviews at the time and so we had the back of the magazine had three tournament reviews um which i think were fine and were a good idea and then as soon as we moved on to issue two we were like well let's obviously not do that because it just dated the magazine and uh, yeah that kind of that kind of thing isn't you know, we, we were never going to like kind of be harsh about anyone's events. So they were just three different, three different views going, this was brilliant. <laughs> um, and so we, yeah, we ditched that. But again, that it's kind of issue one's a real kind of, um, I don't know, little time capsule of, um, of how we started. You can learn yeah, along yeah. the way, aren't you? To be honest with you. Yeah. So, and I, I, th- I think those things are still valid. They still work. Um, yeah, I, I, nice I didn't stand that. I can understand why you wouldn't do it, because definitely from the time stamping it point of view. But, um, but someone that doesn't there was, there was a page in there from Tom. There's a, the first page is is Tom explaining what the GBHL is, like <laughs> yeah. the event review section. It's like Tom Harrison, lead coordinator, t- tells you why to go to a tournament. You know, it's all very like <laughs> like kind of fifties constrict conscription or you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's um, it was good fun. <laughs> so have you got any sort of previous experience producing sort of a magazine or using software to, to do it is it you know is it stuff you had to learn on the fly or did you already yeah well, my the skills? It, I, I i kind of my my work is um i, I was a de- design lecturer essentially so I, w- I worked in design when i graduated at a university and then got this job kind of like teaching and so that's what my my kind of day-to-day thing was like working with students to teach them about you know InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. that that's kind of how I had the I don't know the the tech and the the knowledge to to create the thing, I suppose. Um, and that that was where I kind of started from. So you know, it's relatively easy to if you know how to use a software, you just need kind of one person on a laptop, really. Yeah, you know, it's not like you need a hu- uh, you don't need a huge ton of kind of camera gear and all that to 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 create the magazine. Yeah. It looks really professional, so it's a kind of a. But I suppose not not everyone, if they hadn't used that software, um, may not have been something that you know can make it look quite as nice. If someone tried it on Word, it's obviously going to look a bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because again, because of work, I I kind of use it at work and stuff. You know, it's part. It's on my it's on my kind of yearly activity list. That you know, if I'm teaching these people, by the way, I'm also making this magazine. Yeah. You know, it kind of it validates what I do, but so I it was really important to me that it had to look professional. I was like, I can't, I can't put my name on it if it looks rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> you can't hand it up, hold it up in front of a class, and you still can't guarantee it won't look rubbish. Of course, you know you still got to put a lot of time and effort into it. But I think I think even on that first battle report um, weekend, I had some proofs, and I think I showed them to Tom mm-hmm. of like what I'd done at the time, and I think he was quite supportive, going, "Yeah, this looks, you know, this looks really good." which kind of, you know, buoyed me on or whatever. But yeah, that, that's kind of how the first issue came about, really. But is it yeah, on your required that, reading list for your students? Do you have to, is you, you put it on your reading list and then you just sling them a bit at the end of it? <laughs> it, may, it may surprise you to learn. I haven't had many cheeky sales. Um, I, I do, I, I use it. I, I talk them through it when we're teaching InDesign because it is a, you know, there's a there's an awful lot of real world examples in it about things they need to consider in terms of design and word count and picture aspect ratio and that sort of stuff and they're always you know the first class is always like sorry what the hell is this <laughs> you know they were i was like right okay so i'll give you the 10 minute what is wargaming and they're always they're always kind of like you know entirely bemused but by the end of it they're smiling you know because they're you know they're fundamentally nice human beings yeah and they kind of go go and you know there's a wonderful story in it that is 
this is how you kind of create something to to sell to market you need to find a niche yeah you know so and you probably don't get much more niche than lord of the rings tabletop wargaming <laughs> you know but if you, you can't if you try and make a fashion magazine you're probably not going to dent cosmo sales you know yeah, um absolutely. but so that there's a there's an interesting message in that about kind of i don't know independent or guerrilla kind of fanzine production i suppose yeah definitely tom do you um have you got involved with that side of it as well or do you leave that all to, to... yeah i was gonna say i guess the bit that i bring to the table is um a, a large amount of perfectionism so i guess <laughs> irritating damien no end he'll, he'll slap it on a page and be like oh it's glorious doesn't it and then he'll kick back and relax and i'll tell him he needs to move everything by a few millimeters here and there and change this very slightly and change that very slightly so that that works quite well it keeps damien on his toes um and then when we're when we're not in covid uh times and i'm actually at damien's we usually have a at least one full weekend where we're together and um doing stuff and what damien dreads the most is when he has to go and do um i don't know something with emma or charlotte um and I get to drive the laptop and um, all <laughs> hell could break loose, especially because it's a Mac and I don't know what I'm doing with a Mac. But um, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy my time being able to pip stuff about and then be like, I've, I've made some changes and I've not deleted everything. This is, um, this is good. I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a direct quote because we're, we're in the kind of final editing stage of the 10. This is an email from Tom on one of his articles. General pipping needed on numbers and names of dead models for, I'm going to say blank and blank, because that's spoilerific. For example, 17 Moran and Orcs has lots of space between 17 and the M and O versus others. In addition, Orcs doesn't line up with the bottom of other adjacent text. Have fun with all those changes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is is, is what we amuse ourselves with. Yeah, I guess, yeah, the, the extreme example of that is the A's and the T's that we do. So, Damien, I, I'll let Damien explain it in, in proper terms because I, he'll get annoyed with me if I say it in layman's. It's all, it's all bore people more than the, the talk at the start that didn't make it in about um, Mac operating systems. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a thing, there's a thing called kerning, pains, kerning pairs in typography, which is if, if you put a capital A and a capital V next to each other, they they look like there's too much space in between them. Uh-huh. So, um because of the way they slope so software automatically moves them closer together so that the a and the v kind of if you picture them next to each other they kind of intrude on each other's space right it's yeah. a it's a little trick and any any two letters that do that are called kerning pairs and what it means is when you when you put these things next to each other so like a capital t or a capital a next to a full stop because it moves them closer together it looks like there's not a space right um so in the first issue, we had a few people helpfully come up to us and go, oh, I found a mistake. Uh, there's no space after this full stop. And I was like, there is, but it's your kerning pairs, mate. And, you know, that didn't seem to satisfy people as an answer. And so what we now have to do, have to do, is there is, what is it? Is it T's, T's, V's and A's? Is that and right? W's. And W's. We have to go through and find every single capital A, T, W and V in the magazine that follows a piece of punctuation and click a setting that moves it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun when you have a battle report with Aragorn <laughs> fighting Azog. Yeah. It's, and this is the kind of, we do it. This is the last thing we do. Cause if you imagine we need the magazine to be done before we do this. Yeah. Um, so we're often doing it like two in the morning before the print deadline. Oh. <laughs> it's the worst job in the world. <laughs> Yeah, so Tom Tom goes through like, and finds them all, 
using like command F for, you know, space capital A or whatever, and then sends me a list of them. And then I just turn my brain off and spend 45 minutes <laughs> clicking through each one. Oh. But it's the sort of thing that it's the sort of thing that no one has ever, ever, ever complimented us on. You know, no one would ever notice that. No one will ever say, Oh, I love, I love the way you've done that. But it stops people thinking there's a mistake. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. And when, when people are very kind, like you have and say it looks professional, it's because we take the time to do stuff like that. Yeah. You can tell. And, and, and weird. No. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And failing that, you've just provided many people with a quiz question next time they... Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Kerning, kerning pairs. pairs you know, it's the kerning setting. You wouldn't get that in Word, I tell you. <laughs> oh, so what 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 made you decide to go for a printed mag rather than go just sort of, sort of a digital on its own? I know you did some digital with the first three issues, but what, what was the kind of the, the main thought process behind that? I was... I was going to let you jump in, Damien, but well, I guess I guess the way we explained it at the start was um, Damien really likes the idea of being in an armchair with a white dwarf or SPG with a white dwarf and a mug of tea and um, chilling out on a lazy Sunday and reading a magazine. And I think the point is we wanted one. Yeah. So therefore, <laughs> that's going to be expensive for us to just print it for ourselves. So might as well do it for more people who would probably want the same. So we... I mean, we were really nervous at the start because we only got 50, right? Uh, did, did we get 100? Oh, we got 100. Yeah, 100. But it, it's quite a sizable amount of money for for a punt on will people actually want to do the same as us? Because yeah. um, no one but, knew anything about it either. Like, we, you know, we did it all in secret and we, bizarrely actually today, and this all came out because um, James Wilson posted on the GBHL that the trailer for the Battle of Five Armies came out six years ago today. Yeah. And um, we we made a trailer that I then posted on this day because it made me laugh for the magazine, like a kind of mystery trailer that spoofed that Battle of Five Armies trailer. So it's got like, <laughs> um, it's, on, it's on our YouTube channel. I think it's called, I think it's called SB, it wouldn't be called magazine, it would be called SBG trailer or teaser trailer mm-hmm. or something like that it's on the gbhl today anyway. and like it's got like tom sing, singing um the <laughs> the billy boyd song and all that and and we we shot loads of shots recreating bits from the from the trailer like you know gandalf being kissed by galadriel and all that as well as like having lots of clips of us working on a laptop and with paper and stuff as the kind of we used it as our little i, I don't know our little preview or whatever to drum up interest that's really bizarre that that's come up today like mm. But, um, but yeah, we we were going better. off to a tournament to launch it, and no one, you know, no one had seen it, and we just it was the was it the, the redesolation of Stockport? I think this yeah. would have been in twenty fourteen September time, I think. Mm-hmm. And James and Jamie, who obviously knew about it because the article, they they let us have this slot um, at lunchtime, and so we basically got everyone together. And we'd put a little presentation together, and and basically just pitched it and said, "This is what we're doing." It's going to be, you know, it's going to be online as a PDF for free, but also um, we've had this print run done. If any of you would like to kind of make a contribution to the project, you can have a copy of it. Uh-huh. Um, please don't, you know, let the bank take our houses. <laughs> and um, and thankfully, just even on that first day, the, the reception was just amazing. And I, I I don't know, Tom's a man with a spreadsheet, but I it was something like 95% of people there picked up a copy or something like that. Um, and so that kind of validated what we did. And then we, um, 
it was like right there is a demand out there for that and now our um our print runs are now are we on 600 now is that right for issue one yeah i think so yeah that's pretty good isn't it you so um yeah and we kind of went from there really that's, uh, that's quite good have you um have you thought about um doing more in pdf in the future even if they're chargeable for some of the older editions and things or is that something you've uh oh i'll leave that over to tom i don't know we've got we've got the the website we've got a wix site now which has the first five on it mm. um i guess um yeah in some ways i think we'll we'll make them all available as as free pdfs over time i think i think we quite like the idea of them being free okay to everyone to 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 have over time um and yeah but we we kind of like the idea that there's some exclusivity to the people who buy the physical copies yeah. to start with if that makes sense um but ultimately we want anyone to be able to read it um yeah you can, you can go on and get at least as soon as we because we make we make this massive print run and it's basically as soon as we sell out of that first print run we put that issue online right i see um so there yeah i think we're either we're on five or six is the pdfs mm -hmm. out there now but yeah the the idea is what we what we hope is people are willing to kind of kind of get on board and a help us to you know oh, gotcha. make the money back on that but also to um to, to kind of get on almost like the, the the vision of it which is that you have a physical collection yeah. like your white dwarfs of, of ye oldie days and you you know they gradually get tattered as they get older and they you know they they feel like history and they get coffee stains on them and yeah, you know yeah. there's there's love and age in them and i just i just think that kind of thing i still love flicking that white dwarf 178 i mentioned the first one i've got i've still got it and I know as I flick through that, that's the magazine I got in in Watford in 1993, and that's my first White Dwarf. And I, I think anything like that is completely robbed on a digital version. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I was just just interested, really. I mean, I've bought, all, I've got all of the all of the I say nine uh, you've done uh, with the. I'm well aware. Thank one. you very much. Um, but uh, and I've got. The, I didn't realise four and five were digital. So I do look at them digital sometimes. I do. It shows how often I read digital stuff that I do catch myself with magazines trying to pinch and zoom occasionally if I'm a little tired. You know, you're you're losing the plot there. <laughs> when you're trying to zoom in on some paper. Um, but um, no, it's more of a case of wondering what your you know what we and what your thoughts were around it and whether it is something you'd do more in the future. And I wasn't thinking of you giving away for free for PDF. I think people would pay for them even if you. Even if you do, if you put a small charge on, I appreciate they can be very easily shared around. But um, I'm sure there'll be enough honest yeah. people out there. I mean, that it's, they might it's, it's a donate. tricky thing. We always, we always just said that we did want it to be. You know, we wanted those PDFs to be available to anyone who wanted them, and that you know they are up there. As you said, mm -hmm. the first five or six issues, you can just go and grab completely, like for you know for free. That you know is is a fanzine. But we also the only way we can possibly um, get any printed. Is if we then, is if people then support us, and I think over the years we just haven't had any trouble with it. You know, people have enough people pick it up to make for us to, you know, make the cost back and and get the next set printed, um, which has been great. And then if if other people want to just take the PDFs and then, you know, not send us anything, that's that's great. You know, it's it's out there. It's a it's a fanzine. It's for people to go and um, distribute. You know, it's no it's never been a business for us. It's never. Yeah, yeah. It's just something we do kind of on the side out of love of the hobby. And it's it has been fun. It's you know you, you you've mentioned the Palantir a few times, but I think I genuinely think it speaks volumes that the Palantir has dropped off for us. I think yeah. it's three times it's dropped off, and it's obviously <laughs> in the middle in the middle of a global pandemic drop off. But we we've been doing it for that about five years. But that's always at a certain point in your life, YouTube in every single week 
becomes stressful and kind of becomes untenable. Yeah. Whereas the magazine, we've been able to keep going constantly because you can keep it going. You don't need to meet up for three hours every single day in person, every single week, sorry, in person to do it. Yeah. You can just keep working on it remotely, which I think is why that's kind of endured, I guess. It's a healthy extension of your hobby, isn't it? But much like doing a podcast or, or YouTube is anyway. It's just mm. another way of of exploring your your particular interests, I suppose. Yeah, it's and it's steered our collections. You know, the 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 basic theme for every issue is basically what me and Tom wanted to paint, you know? That's yeah. that's kind of often how we came up with those early themes. Yeah, that makes well, that makes sense. So, with that in mind, actually, how do you go about planning your future issues, and how far ahead are you you planning things? Okay, Tom. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it kind of depends historically. I mean, we we often end up changing ideas, and you know, for example, we we've always yeah, had go in the back, on, of go our, on, go on. back of our mind we should do a smog issue with, with um, but we we've we we've still not got round to that, and we probably had that idea five years ago or something um but yeah we um we definitely we, we certainly got two planned and weirdly one one wasn't even in our minds at all until Damien and I had a long chat when did we chat Saturday yeah, <laughs> and we just have basically bumped back what was going to be issue 11 into issue 12 and and come up with the plan for issue 11 and I've got a piece of paper right by me which has pretty much every page this um, is a world planned out yeah planned <laughs> out which is it's cool but it was it just kind of grew out of damien and i having a chat whilst we were painting um last weekend that's kind of lockdown forced isn't it yeah yeah so basically um we do the photo shoot and we often want to get um not just me and damien there we also want to get at least one other person involved in the bat rep so it's not just me against damien every time and like we said, we want it to feel more like White Dwarf. Yeah. Um, so usually one of us plays and one of us writes writes everything up. So we're still heavily involved in there and taking all the notes as the bat rep goes on. But obviously that's a problem in lockdown, trying to get so many families under one roof yes. just to take photos of some toy soldiers. So what we'll do this time is um, I I can go and do the photo shooters with my partner's um dad yeah. um so I, I can go and do that and uh we, we get we were then trying to think of what ideas we could do what we could do kind of with damien in remote and how we could play with a magazine around the idea of um us having to make it because we're in the situation we're in yeah we, we thought it'd be quite good fun to kind of have because because they are dated you know the, they've got the timestamps on them we thought it'd be quite good to have a kind of issue that was focused on basically what war game is like in 2020 you know yeah and like it kind of so that when hopefully when the world gets back to proper normal whenever it does um you know we'll be able to look back on this and go god yeah that that's the one we made during that time and it what we were going to do was drop an issue essentially we didn't really have a choice but then i think we've come up with this quite quite creative way to which will be issue 11 we have no idea when it'll come out probably very end of this year or start of next year i'd guess um we really don't know but that one will be kind of an issue that only existed because of lockdown essentially and it makes sense to reflect what's going on around you in some ways it's weird if if you ignore those things isn't it um yeah but prior to that it was as, as i say i can't remember how we made every decision but it it's largely led by our kind of model collections and 
things that hadn't been seen. Uh-huh. So it, issue two was very much the fact that um, we came up with the idea of doing as an old bazaar. Um, and I think I, I think Tom was painting some Gundabad orcs and I was painting my my dwarfs, my arable dwarfs at the time. And we, 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 it was the first time we worked with Rick Fryer to make some scenery for us and it all kind of fell together. And then we, we themed it like White Dwarf used to. So we had a tactics article about Azog's Hunters and a painting guide for Thor and all that sort of stuff. And then I don't really remember, but we, we came up with the idea of Dol Guldor somehow. And then we spent the next, you know, that, that kind of, I wanted to do a Merkwood Elf army. Tom was still working on some Hunter Orcs, I think. And then I, I can't remember how, I mean, you might, you might've seen in issue five, the Dale board that Rick, that Rick built, yes, um, yeah, yeah, which beautiful. is just one of the most stunning as Rick Fryer, just as incredible terrain, mate. Cause it's to this day, one of the most incredible boards I've ever seen in my life. It's a thing of, it's, it's like a wetter miniature. It's not, it's not a gaming board. Um, and I can't even remember why Dale, but I think, I think we, I think it, we've got the emails, but I think it says something like, Rick, do you might, do you fancy making us some Dale ruins? <laughs> and then, you know, literally two years later, there's a four by four complete recreation of Dale. And it's, you know, it's kind of escalated from there really. And then, you know, we just, Tim Croft approached us for the stone giants, which was awesome. Yeah. He, he kind of said, I'm working on this. Do you want to do it in the magazine? And we we're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, the, the, Issue eight was about the new edition, which was fairly obvious. You know, yeah. we had to do that. And then issue 10, which is the one where it's literally finished. It's hard to say, but it's, it's probably 99.99% finished now is our, is our big issue 10 sort of birthday celebration issue. Um, we might have to wait a while i'm assuming but i'm looking forward to when it you'll have to wait less time than you might have had to wait as of last saturday we had (laughs) had a big we had a big chat on saturday and so it will be out in some form by october is that right is that what we said yeah Yeah, we should be sending it to the printers on the first of september yeah you know the first week of september we we have less stringent print deadline because there's no tournament to to yes. hit necessarily yeah. uh, which is where you know you release all of them at uh, events don't you so i suppose you yeah were... historically we've always kind of launched it at a big event and i mean issue 10 was meant to come out at seven stones in may yeah and then bizarrely issue 11 was meant to come out at articon and now we're at the point where we're approaching what would have been articon and issue 10 is not even out because we haven't had any events but yeah. we we've we've made this is this is huge i, I don't know if we we're meant to talk about this but <laughs> it's huge no one cares um, <laughs> <laughs> but we we, um, we made the call on Saturday that we're going to try and launch it at Steve's event, which is at the end of October. Yeah. But then if that event doesn't happen, we'll just we'll just start posting it. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we can't we can't wait forever for you know. There's got to be some point where you, we we've literally had to change things. Like um, it, you make references to well, we we released issue one five years ago, and you have to go in and go well six years ago now, yeah. and your your spring 2020 becomes autumn 2020. You know and you, you have to there's there's an awful lot of parts of the magazine that you have to change if you delay it by six months uh, yeah um, like the recent war in rohan supplement it's yeah, like, well, yeah it's yeah. not that recent anymore <laughs> fairly recent relatively recent <laughs> no, it's difficult I suppose so, yeah that sense, one so that one can't... will be out um for for everyone it will be available to get it certainly by the end of october which will be which will be cool to finally get it out there Oh, I'm looking forward to and it. And it's 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 so cool. And I, I say this because we don't take the photos. I, I can take so much pride in this because <laughs> it's not arrogance. Like Tim, um, it's it's Tim uh, Tim who's Tim Tom's partner Lily, um, her dad uh, takes the photos for us. 
and the, the photos he's taken this time it's the, it's the biggest battle report we've ever done it's was it thir- it's 13,000 points and we've got yes. se- we've got 700 models on the table Whoa. and it's it's just spectacular it's just spectacular and then the photos are just stunning he, he's just outdone himself and I just I can't wait this is the biggest battle report we've ever done I can't I can't wait to share it with people it's going to be so cool well, judging by the ones you've done already, they're all stunning. So if you if you this is this, this is a standout, it's definitely going to be something to look for. Yeah, we, it's it's been a while since we did a big one. We did we did we did a, the huge ones for four, issue five and six. We yeah. did like the Battle of Dale and uh, the then the Battle in Front of Erebor, and we had to, we had to beat that in terms of points and numbers, and we yeah we managed it. <laughs> um, so um, that's. I'll carry on. You know, I'm just no, I was just going to say it's just it's just been really good fun. So the, I mean, this is probably a, a strange question because you've covered m- most of these things already. But does it do each magazine take you about the same amount of time to produce, or does it, does it does it really vary depending on what's going on in your lives and what you got in the magazine? <laughs> yeah, um, we generally, I mean, two a year is kind of our limit, I think. Yeah. And we did we did one year where we did two in the year and the Tauriel April Fools special. And the advent calendar. That was the same year. And the advent was that the same year? Well that 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 was a bad year. Yeah, it was definitely the the mag was verging on becoming a bit stressful once it got to that level. Yeah. Yeah, not it's not too bad, it's just it's just sometimes it's like I don't want to do editing right now. I wanna just relax and I don't know, paint some models or something. But um um yeah, I think I think that's our limit. More from a it keeps it enjoyable. We could we could probably do four a year, but we like having a bit of a break after we've released one and not because yeah. we go into kind of really heavy editing mode and you read the same thing over and over and over again. And it kind of, it would suck the fun out of it if we then had to jump in and do the next one straight away. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice to have a few months of just off and then mild panic as we realize, oh, we best get going again. <laughs> kind of get the next we, one we, done. The last sort of two or three years, we've got into the habit of, we have the first half of the year on and the second year off. Because we release in May and August, so it's not really half. But basically, the first eight months of the year, we're working on the magazine, and then we take about four months off, really, where we're just, the only thing we're really doing is kind of sending them out, but also painting models for the next one. Yeah, and it kind of means that hopefully you come back to it refreshed. But yeah, last year we decided to do an advent calendar, <laughs> which um, which was really good fun. I'm glad we did it. There's a lot of fun stuff in there. That was all done. That's all on the GBHL. If anyone wants it, the PDFs up there of the whole thing. We we released a page a day. Brilliant. Um, and they were all they were all like written by um different people from the community and there was there was tons of fun stuff in there um all christmas themed you know um but yeah it obviously suddenly meant that we we kind of had another 24 page issue to make throughout <laughs> october and november you know which we don't normally i've got it we're not we're not doing it again definitely but this year at least but that's the um, problem now. People it, it was will call for that now, won't they? And they'll be when you when you're doing the the advent. Yeah, well, <laughs> you'll have to do Palantir. They can, they can look at last year. <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, we can send you the. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say we can we can send you the link to the to the site where you can get all of the PDFs. Yeah, well, the Tario ones up there as well, isn't it? The April Fool's yeah, Day. Exactly. I'll I'll stick it down. Yeah, send me some links and I'll put it in the the, the show notes and we can um, so anyone mm-hmm. listening to the podcast will be able to clicking any of the links and things down as well so um what, what do you both either of you have a, a favorite um article or moment and have to be an article or a moment from, from over the issues um damon do you want to go first oh no um <laughs> mixing uh, it up 
Tom, feel free to jump in if you know what uh, you're uh, Um well, it's a bit arrogant if if you say our own articles. So, He's going to um... say his own articles. He loves, he loves his words. He loves his words. Um, uh, I did really enjoy weirdly doing the non, the the non, the more feeling Tom article, which is a bit weird. But uh, I wrote. If, about, anyone, um, if anyone doesn't get that, there's that, the idea that, that dice probability I'm, two, isn't it? Wasn't uh, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the kind of emotional one in it. I normally write articles about feelings and people's happiness and how we all deal with each other and tom's a robot who <laughs> who writes articles about probability and stats and um and the maths behind the game and that sort of stuff and we always we always joke that whenever he writes his articles he sends them to me and i have to try and make him sound like a human wrote them and then when he when i send mine to his he has to try and make it sound like it's not a kind of oscar winning speech or something you know <laughs> and sort of between us we're a normal human i think yeah yeah, so I, enjoy, I enjoyed doing that, actually. It was quite nice to kind of do something a bit different. Um, is that the I'm a geologist, not a statistician one? That's a, uh, no, that was the probability <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about this, but sorry, this is way off topic. But when Damien's making the magazine um, and putting stuff in, he puts placeholders in, and he'll put it in the blurbs of articles or pull-out quotes, and he'll just put something in. Or... It could be anywhere. He'll just write into an article something that's good. He knows he's chuckling to himself writing and he knows <laughs> it's going to make me laugh when I see it, but we'd best take it out before the final version. And um, yeah, some of those actually I really enjoy spotting and they just make me spurt tea out that I'm drinking as I'm editing <laughs> as I catch it. I will say this because Steve, Steve Crow, he's, he's been on, he's been on the podcast here. So he he's a friend, but we, He's this is huge. There's huge spoilers, but I think we've dropped this bomb a bunch of times. Steve is in the battle report for issue ten, and the, as I said, the magazine's incredibly nearly finished now. And I I reread it about a month ago before it went to Tom, and it it, it we wouldn't print it now, but it was it was getting to the point where we could. And there was a line in there that says, "Cackling like a mad dodgy builder." Steve <laughs> rolled his dice, and we like we obviously wrote that, you know months and months ago to as a sort of oh that's funny and then we'll remove it later and it you know it very very nearly got through <laughs> i'll probably get that one out and that that's the that's on the kind of um i don't know family friendly end of what some of them say yeah you know? i was i thought yeah. it, I, I guessed that that might be where the where some of those were going the blurbs in particular you know where we introduce people they're just horrific <laughs> for a while you need you need the words to be in there to fill the space and they're just the the worst kind of thing you could ever write about some of our friends you know and then hopefully you don't forget to change any of those <laughs> but you you were sorry you i interrupted you, you were saying that it was your feelings article you liked yeah no that that was a nice change i think in terms of favorite moment i mean obviously with with rick in issue two getting the scenery on board and jim doing the, the photography that that gave the magazine a huge lift relative to issue one but actually issue three when we had um yeah. matt had sculpted the ring raves for us and barry's barry's mum drove over from ireland to drop off the scenery for us um so we could do the photo shoot with the doll guldor and then matt actually <laughs> was so uh, late to getting his ring race done that he was up till 5am the night before finishing the painting and then drove over to play the next day yeah. but that that, that I, I think the culmination of that weekend it, it, it felt so cool kind of opening up that scenery and then seeing the ring race and it was all kind of kind of in, 
all of this kind of really professional looking stuff and actually it's what we're going to be using yeah. it's for us it's not made by games workshop of course some of the ring will use games workshop models as the base but i think that was that that that's the is when people who are yeah people who are great at scenery or great at converting or sculpting stuff or like jim with the photography people who are genuinely amazing at stuff yeah making stuff that makes us go wow um that's what i like that it's really it's it's really weird you've mentioned that because just while you were talking about your article, the thing that I remember is for issue three, opening Barry's Dalgoldo scenery. And you can actually, mm-hmm. issue three, we documented on, on the GBHO, on the, on the YouTube, we did like a behind the scenes of an issue. And there's basically a, a five, five parts, I think it is, or three parts or something, of like taking that issue from conception to publication over the course of about nine months. And we filmed unboxing the scenery. And it's this, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's about a four by four board of Dolgordo scenery created from scratch, and it has I think it's is it it's either five or six levels mm-hmm. that you that has bridges between them, so it's it's genuinely three D. You can genuinely cross one side of the board to the other on the sixth level, <laughs> and it was it was just the most spectacular thing I've. It's I, I can never decide if if that or the or Dale is more impressive because they're such different things, but. Yeah. It, it it's incredible and um, i remember us and it's it's on camera opening that and just laughing hysterically like just <laughs> laughing laughing as as these incredible pieces of scenery came out that barry had so kindly made for us this is barry o'neill if we haven't said that he's he's a he, I, uh, he's not really involved in the hobby that much anymore but he's i think it's just life circumstances have changed but he was a, he was a great lovely hobbyist um, he lives in ireland really really nice um lovely man who took on dog order for us and um, and I just remember that being like, this is just next level stuff. This this scenery that he's made. And as Tom said, when Dave sculpted our necromancer, like the ne- mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, the necromancer as he appears in the Hobbit, this kind of weird smoky kind of monster thing. And Matt Davis had done the um the ring race for us, and it was like, this is all just incredible, and it all just came together, and it was, it was just amazing. I remember that being a real highlight. But you know that you know that's now five years ago or something. It's good um, you, the way you're remembering it that way. It sounds sounds like you've had a load of fun doing it, and I'm not surprised the, that the Dale one was really fun. That sticks in the mind because um, mm. we we had that that was issue five, and we had all the battle report planned, obviously. And my um, it was going to be my last hurrah before my daughter was born. So this is in this is we must have planned it for I think we planned it March 2017, and we were going to do that. And then my daughter was due, and we would we would then do all the post production kind of remotely. And my wife went into labor like three and a half weeks early and it would have been a Monday and we were doing the photo shoot on a Saturday. And so I had to, I just rang Tom and went, I don't think I'm going to be there. I'm having a baby. (laughs) And so, um, I, we were in the hospital. I think we were in the hospital because Charlotte was jaundiced till, till Friday or Saturday. And then obviously the photo shoot was Friday and Saturday. So, uh, it's the only one we've ever done where, where both of us haven't been there. And, um, they, you know, Tom was there with Dave and Steve Crow, and they were, they were doing, you know, all the battle report, and they'd, they'd send me photos, you know, and be like, "What do you think of this?" And I'd be like, "Move, spin Thrandall around," you know, <laughs> and you know, there's 500 Lake Towners on this board. <laughs> Move Thrandall. What about this? Spin Lake Towner 472 around. You know, it was like, it was a really weird situation. But obviously, you know, with Charlotte being born, that that one's really stuck in the mind. And so we had this really weird thing where we then we made that issue and finished it. And 
the first time I saw Dale having worked on the board for nine months, well, well, two years watching all the work in progress. The first time I saw it was about three hours before we put it on display at Articon. Because I'd I'd never seen it in person, (laughs) Um, which is a really surreal experience. But yeah, that that was pretty fun. It sounds sounds like you've had uh, lots of experiences you wouldn't have had if you wouldn't if you wouldn't do the magazine obviously you might play oh absolutely the the whole success of it is is down to the other people it's the people who've worked on it over the years you know the people who've built built a scenery and converted us models and i i almost loathe to kind of name them because you'll miss someone but there are there there are almost what we call friends of the magazine that are like people who regularly worked with us which is like kev specter for our painting guys dave fredericks for sculpting um, Rick Fryer for scenery, obviously Jim um, for the for the for the photography, and then you get people like Tim Croft for the Stone Giants, and um, Matt Davis has done some, and Barry O'Neill, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably missing. Am I missing anyone? Obvious, Tom. Steve's done conversions. Yeah, yeah, of course. Steve's come in and done done conversions for us in the past, and you know, there's there's loads of people have been involved that you know, I'm sure it would have been good without them, but it would have been. A, a number of steps down you know you're, you're essentially looking at issue one if it's if it's just me and tom it's it's issue one and it's the fact that it's so much better than issue one now is because of the work of everyone else yeah um we do you know they they're the real talent behind it and we just make it look pretty is the way i always kind of think about it <laughs> well, yeah, um, I, I think the essence of it is the same all the way through having sort of you know, flick through them again recently in preparation for this. I think the essence is there, but you can definitely see the the, the progression as well in terms of it, sort of the, the tightness of it. Um, but yeah, I did. I did that. It's kind. Of, I did that ahead of this because it's kind of like the YouTube thing. I don't. I don't really reread them, you know, because you get so sick of reading them by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I, had a, I had a flick through them all, and you know, you mentioned your favourite article. And I, I don't know, but my mum wrote an article for one for issue seven, which I really like. I'm kind of emotionally tied to that. She just. I can't remember how that came up, but she just she obviously reads the magazine, you know, sort of <laughs> likes some of the articles because they're about her son's feelings or whatever. And she just sent me this thing completely off the cuff and went, "I don't know if this would be any use, but would you put it in?" I, I, it was great. Yeah, it was absolutely great. And it was this little article about being a war gamer's parent, and it's almost quite this emotional bit in it about kind of worrying that had she introduced me to a hobby that made me closeted or whatever, you know, like. Uh-huh. And should she? I think she talks about should I have been encouraging to play more sport or something? <laughs> and it's quite, you know, it was right up the street of what I normally write about. And getting that and getting my mum to kind of have an article in it was kind of fun. I, I quite, I quite like that one. Yeah, I remember reading that actually. It does dovetails one really nicely with all of your Doctor's Corner um, mm. articles. So yeah, I can definitely see that. Is that what did we end up? Is that the is it the Doctor's Mother or the Mother's Corner? I can't, I can't Doctor's remember. Doctor's Mother. I think. The Doctor's Mother. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I, d- I definitely like those. I think when I f- first read them, I was reading your first Doctor's Corner in issue one. Is that the one about you when you talking about yourself, about about the, the yeah. hobby and whether you're hiding your hobby away from yeah. people and stuff? And yeah, that obviously yeah. resonated with me. I made a made a comment earlier about with my sort of mid twenties, I think I was about buying those games and, and hiding them from the people at the time. So it's definitely reading that article. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, this exactly had those experiences as well. So, um, yeah, they're really good. I think, um, definitely a fan of those, um, those sections because I can kind of relate to it so much. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, a lot of people say that sort of thing where they help, you know, I think a lot of war gamers have gone through the same thing that, that I certainly went through about, you know, particularly when you're a teenager about bullying and stuff, you know, about kind of, you shouldn't be able to do that and it was it, you should you know you should be able to do that and it shouldn't matter but we know what the world's like and i think um 
I think what happens while so many people get back into it in their late twenties is they realise that suddenly they're they're not in school anymore and they don't really care what people think and um they've surrounded themselves with nice supportive people who like them for for who they are and they don't really care and they actually find that it's a quite a you know creative and positive hobby not a not something to be jeered at yeah exactly. Um, but yeah i've had over the years i've had a lot of messages from people like that and we still get them when you know when people buy kind of pick up the whole back back series of issues you still occasionally get these messages going oh that really that reminded me of how i felt in the 1980s or whatever you know so yeah, I think there's cool. a theme, wasn't there, with a few of yours? I think you talked about the gamers' friendships, and there's another one about the like the way sort of coming out with your Facebook and and wargaming and things. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah. I've done all the things that you've done as well. Make sure I did. Make sure my Facebook <laughs> was separate. The, the Facebook one is is great because that was this is pre magazine, but at one of the early tournaments in about 2013, um, I, I won I won one of the awards. At, I think it was throwing the skulls at the time. It was like a faction award. It was like best fallen realms player or something. And, um, and the, you know, Warhammer World, as it was then, had a Facebook page and there was a photo of me on it and I commented on it saying, so I'm like, oh, hooray, you know, this is cool. <laughs> and of course, what that means is it goes onto your newsfeed because yeah. Warhammer World's a public place. And one of my mates, like very good naturedly, I think he put the Simpsons nerd thing on it. <laughs> you know, they're like, nerd, like that. And he, he wasn't the problem. And I, I realized that everyone on my Facebook could see this. Yeah. And I went and deleted the comment. Yeah. I, I, and I, I was like, and that made me basically write the article because I was like, why the hell did I do that? You know, so my instant reply was, oh my God, try and go back in time, delete the comment and no one will have seen it. And um, and I think I went and had a chat with my wife and go, that was weird. And I was like, that was my, in, you know, that was based on 10 years of fear of people knowing what I did. And I think at the end of that evening, I went and wrote a Facebook status saying, I like playing war games with toy soldiers. Like, if this comes as news to you, you don't know me very well. And I kind of, I kind of came out that night, you know. Um, <laughs> but it, it needed that moment of whatever that is, sheer terror. I can definitely... go, oh, my God, people can see it. And now, you know, now I'm as out there as you as you can get, you know, yeah. as, as you would hope everyone is, you know. But it, it can be tricky. It can be. I definitely empathise. But I, for years, I would have probably avoided anything that um, would have shown up my hobby on facebook in fact even for the the, the group i rate for the event i'm supposed to be running this year there was a couple of people said like, i won't join the group because you yeah. know i don't want people to yeah. know that the work know that i do this sort of thing obviously i won't mention their names because that would be horrible um but it's yeah did you just say did you just say the words nobody at work knows i do this? <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just looking up on my wall and there's a there's a picture with that quote written on it what's, what's that about tom yeah so we um we um had, we're very fortunate, actually, where we at the as the final Hobbit film was being released, um, they were going to do an article in Time Out on some Hobbit fandom thing. So uh-huh. that we we got and we went along, Damien and I, to a um, what was it, kind of a premiere type party? Yeah, it was the One um, Rings the One Ring party. Oh, yeah. yeah, and we were going to be interviewed there by um, someone from Time Out, basically about. How we're involved in the in painting these funny little men to do with the Hobbit um, and that kind of thing, and you know we were, we weren't the only part of the article. It was also people who were cosplaying and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so in, in the interview, um, I kind of said, well, I had a we we brought in models to to set up so that they could so the photographer could shoot them at, 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 prior to the party getting too too um, alcohol fueled. And um, 
I got it in my normal Tesco bag, so I used to take it to work in like a bag for life. <laughs> put my games workshop case and be like, people think that's weird. Put a towel over the top of it or something <laughs> so that people can't see it. And then had it there and I was like, yeah, well, no one at work knows I do this. Um, and that became the pullout quote. And then gloriously, <laughs> gloriously for me, like Time Out's quite a, a popular magazine. It's a free magazine in London that yeah. everyone will just get on the tube because you've got nothing better to do with your time. And um, people at work then came up to me was like, you're in that. <laughs> and um so that kind of that kind of um blew that out of the water so yeah ever since then i've i just tell people at work and it's just wonderful it. there's, there's this four-page fandom article about it's not just about wargaming it's about cosplay and every form of tolkien like <laughs> fandom and the, and the pool quote is tom harrison saying nobody at work knows i do that. <laughs> Oh, one of, the one that stuck for me is it i'm just trying to read it it's on the word it says damien who's 32 and keen to point out that he's married yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, was, I was i didn't know i was obviously quite i don't know what that was i think i was trying to convince i think it was part of when i was being interviewed for it it was like to you're trying to get across that these people are normal people you know mm. and so i think i made some comment about saying no we're not it's not the kind of stereotypical you know lonely nerd living in his basement you know i'm married or whatever i don't know maybe i said it a few times so. <laughs> like and it was to try and get the wedding ring in the photo <laughs> yeah the, the picture the picture of us in it is like it's us moving models but my you know i'm moving a model towards the camera and so what it basically means is my wedding ring is basically the first thing you see in the picture <laughs> just to be clear i'm married i met a woman <laughs> brilliant that's a good story though. But yeah it was you know that's that's you know it's, it's given us some nice opportunities i suppose you know the magazine and stuff it's been cool like that oh, that's fantastic well uh, thank you both so much for your time today you've um it's, oh, been, a re- it's been a really been a interesting pleasure. chatting to you about more in depth about uh, of the magazine that many people have read i've definitely read them all um so um before we go um is there anything else you guys want to plug just want to sort of shout out again how people can get hold of the magazine um yeah sure that's tom's that's tom's area i think is it well? Um, I'll there'll be in the link somewhere. However, podcast land works. I'm not the technical person, but there'll be a link in the description which has our site, which has uh, first five issues I think that are available to download, as well as the two specials. So the Tariel April Fool special, um, but it is serious, and the um, advent, the kind of advent calendar um, special where we we basically released a page a day. Um, last Christmas as an advent treat. Um, and then, yeah, if you're wanting physical copies, it's basically just drop us an email at sbgmagazine at gmail.com. And again, we can we can make sure that goes in the description and we'll kind of talk you through um, how you can pick one up. Fantastic. Or 10. Or 10, yeah, or 10. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I can definitely recommend picking them picking them all up they're um Thanks. they're a really really good resource if you uh if you like sbg yeah. and you like reading a magazine if you love those old like like exactly what you guys were aiming for if you miss the regular segments in white dwarf and you want a bit of that kind of feeling then definitely pick them up yeah well, the, the plan is but the whole thing i had at the start was that i hope that in about 20 years time 30 years time whatever it is my mind's started to go enough that i forget i wrote them and that i can read them and enjoy them that's the that's the plan. It's entirely selfish endeavour where I want to read the things in at some point in the future. But who knows? I'm certainly not there yet. I was watching one of the one of the extras from the DVDs from the films and PJ was saying that he wished he could maybe be um hypnotized so he'd forgotten that he'd yeah. filmed it and 
and watch yeah. the film as part of his editing process, but he'd be worried that they wouldn't be able to undo it again, so he couldn't finish yeah. it. Maybe, yeah. Uh, so I do. He says, "Like, what would he think of the films yes. if he didn't remember he made them?" Doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, sort of a completely uncritical, you know, critical eye, but not sort of swayed by his own being there for the whole process. The only problem is if you really didn't like it, then you would. <laughs> you'd, yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be a very nice process to go back to. Um, I think he'd like them. They're pretty yeah. good, aren't they? I think they're pretty good as films go. In a so, world yeah. where there's five Sharknados, I reckon the six <laughs> you know, films stand up pretty well. I, I, How I, many Fast and Furious movies have we got? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, <laughs> eight, is it? Eight plus spin-offs now, Sean Hobbs? Yeah, God knows. You know, they are doing, um, this is, sorry to go slightly off tangent, but they're doing, um, if you're interested in the films, they're doing uh, music watch-alongs. Have you seen these? They've done two of them so far. So the... Doug Adams, who's like the music supervisor on the film, he wrote the book, The Music of Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. And one of the guys who worked on him, they're, they're doing, with the One Ring Net, you, you put on the extended edition, yeah. and they do a live commentary um, about the music of the films. Ah, brilliant. And they did, they did an unexpected journey last week, and they're doing, I think they're doing the Desolation Smell tonight. And it's um it's New Zealand time, so it starts about one a.m. our time. It obviously won't be tonight. Sorry, on whenever this goes out, um, it's on what is it Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. So it must be Tuesday nights. But then it's on the One Rings um, Facebook page, and you can watch them again. So it's like a three-hour-long video. You start the film, and then they they give you an audio commentary, like a film commentary, but it's all about the music. It's absolutely fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah, I might. That'll be something one day to. Uh wall away some hours when I'm up with yeah. the, up the one year old in the middle of the night or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to plug before we uh, before we let you go? Um, this isn't really a plug, but um, you know, you as a as a um, fan of the planter, um, obviously in COVID world we can't we can't do another, um, but we do plan to do a sh- issue episode 100 at some point. We got we kind of stalled because it became. I don't know why we got into a good groove again, and then that we wanted to make that episode kind of special, but it it, it requires a lot of effort to to make a special episode, and um, yeah, that's why it's kind of fallen by the wayside for now. But we do intend to come back and not finish on ninety nine. That's for sure. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's totally understandable. I think we've just lost Damien. I think his, his internet's probably just um, decided to take a dive, and he's just dropped off right at the end there. But... He's just given up in disgust at our yeah, lack of a hundred. He heard Palanto uh, and hundred, and he's thinking, yeah. I don't want <laughs> to have out. to edit all those videos that people sent in, and he's uh, yeah. pretending he can't hear this, so he doesn't have to commit. <laughs> um, oh, no, it's fantastic. No, but uh, thank you so much, both of you again i know damien can't hear this right now but hopefully if he listens back to it, but, um always oh, he's, he's he's reappeared um we we thought Hello. we thought damien you might have just dropped off there because um because because tom was um committing to doing planteer um episode 100 at some point in the future we thought that maybe you realized all of this all of those extra videos that you've got to edit in that people sent in <laughs> that you thought you'd just disappear off the call so, so my laptop decided to log me out which was useful <laughs> I've no um, idea why that happened. So, yeah, sorry about that. No, and, and wait, you're so, so what was that? We are doing 100, are we? Apparently, you are, which is good to hear. Hot off the press yeah. news, some point in the next um, decade, there will be. Time. Yeah, we were going to do it in November. We were going to do it in October, and we did the advent yeah. calendar instead. That's. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was a global pandemic. Yeah, we. You were. It's been. You, you it's a long time coming now. Was it February? <laughs> February 2019, I think, was 99. Yes, <laughs> 
Well, it's mad. Could... And we thought, we genuinely thought when we when we did 99, we thought we were doing 100 in a fortnight. We really did. We thought it was like, yeah, we'll do it in a couple of weeks. And then suddenly here we are nearly two years later, you know. Have you ever thought about just doing it over over video, doing it over Zoom or something like that? Or is that just... just... <laughs> There's just so much pressure now, right? There's part yeah, of me that yeah. thinks maybe 99 is the perfect episode to end it on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon you've got a few more years of keep, keeping people hanging on and asking questions about it. So uh, yeah. you keep it going for a little while, yeah. I'm sure it'll be good whenever it arrives. What about yourself? Um, um, <laughs> says some, they'll be like, what do you think will be first? Question of the Ring Bearer or Palante 100 or something? <laughs> Oh, definitely question the Rimbera. <laughs> definitely. Um, we might have a new edition before it comes out. You never know. Um, so, have you got anything you want to shout yourself, Damien? Before we before I let you. No, no. I think I think I think that's it. It's just a, a thank you, I suppose, to everyone who's helped us on the magazine over the years, and everyone who's um, supported us. Either you know, picking up a copy or saying nice things to us, or um, you know, helping helping with the production of it. It's only possible because of the community, and um, we're incredibly grateful. Uh, brilliant but yeah and thank you for thank you for having us it's been been really wonderful a really enjoyable evening chatting well thank you thank you for coming on really appreciate it yeah it's been it's been oh, a good chat absolute pleasure. it's been a good chat right so we're gonna take a short break and we'll come back with the latest heroic deathmatch <laughs> And we're back with uh, another heroic death match. So uh, who have we got this week then, Dan? So we decided to go for yet another classic matchup, and we were going to go for Gandalf the Grey in his Hobbit, um, an unexpected journey, guys, and the Goblin King. Absolutely. I like. I quite like sticking with the... Uh... The, the sort of thematic matchups at the moment it seems to be fun especially as they seem to be quite quick and we don't always balance them very well at least there's a there's a reason for it <laughs> if that makes sense it, it makes us feel better certainly yes yes it does do you so you're going to be you're going to be the goblin king today can do you want to do you want to take us through what he has and uh what what he, what his uh stat lines like and we can uh hypothesize where whether he think he's got a chance Indeed. So in uh, true style of this, I have once again championed the underdog. So the Goblin King comes in at 130 points. He is a goblin, funnily enough, a monster. He's infantry and a hero of legend. So the denizens of the rickety construct of Goblin Town are ruled over by the Goblin King. This giant and bloated creature is perhaps the greatest ruler of any of the goblin holds within the Misty Mountains. Ruling over his followers with an iron fist, the goblin does not suffer trespassers into his kingdom and delights in finding new and convoluted ways to torture and maim them. So basically he's a wonderful, generous host. He's a lovely chap. Uh, we'll go into his stats. So he's move six, fight six slash five plus, strength and defense five, three attacks, three wounds, courage of three. He's a, a bit afraid of stuff. He has three might, two will, and a single point of fate. Yes. So, yeah, I, he's armed with a two-handed pick as well, and he has burly, so that's pretty good actually. So you will be two-handed. There's no no point in not. Well, obviously, um, I th well, I have no other option. He, uh, no. Otherwise, it would be well. You've only got the one no weapon. weapon. <laughs> so he can heroic strike, uh, mm -hmm. form heroic strength, and do heroic challenge. Uh, as I said, he's got burly. He is a cave dweller. He is resistant to magic, and he does cause terror. So to cover some of his rules, he has relentless advance. When the Goblin King charges, any goblins in his way are in serious danger. So 
When the Goblin can charge into combat, he can pass through friendly Goblin models when he moves. Each Goblin he moves through suffers a strength 3 hit. Any Goblin that he ends his move on is automatically slain. A model with this special rule cannot be compelled or commanded over friendly models if it's forced to charge as part of that magical power. So not strictly relevant for this, but it is worth noting as part of his profile. You know, it's what you're paying for when you pay your 130 points. He is, you know, that's pretty reasonable. Um, I think given the decent. amount of chaff in the army, it gives you a lot more options with him. Yeah, it's quite good that he can't be compelled into his own people to do, to use that as well, which is uh, takes away the one sort of would be the negative from that rule. I think it could be useful. Oh, yeah. People being sneaky-beaky and uh, <laughs> causing him to charge through and land upon one of their, you know, goblin captains or, you know, the scribe or whatever and automatically slaying it. A bit, or if, indeed, they were, um, you know, allying in using mercenary goblins from the other lists. Yeah. It stops you squishing all your, your, your reasonable stuff and your, your courage bubbles for stand. That's right. So um, he also has blubbery mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Goblin King's vile blubbery flesh absorbs blows with ease. So that's delightful. Every time the Goblin King is wounded, roll a d6. On a three plus, the wound is ignored. Magical powers and elven main weapons ignore this ability. That would be really useful for you today if Gandalf wasn't a weird... And carrying... Gl- yeah, Glamdring. <laughs> <laughs> Forged in Gondolin for the King of Gondolin, funnily enough. So um, just count as elven. <laughs> So, and Goblin Projectile. The Goblin King will readily hurl nearby goblins at his foes if it suits him. In the shoot phase, if there is a friendly goblin model in base contact with the Goblin King and neither engaged in combat, the Goblin King may make a shooting attack with a range of 12 inches. This counts as a throwing weapon. Remove the goblin, roll to hit, and take any in the way test for the shooting attack. The shot is resolved at strength 8 and will automatically knock prone any model it hits. You see, that's brilliant. Unfortunately, not again relevant to yeah. this particular fight we're having, but hilarious. Yeah, it's a lovely Always set of rules. Definitely a lovely set of rules. Um, so, I mean, you said you, you said you were the underdog. You are in terms of points, but I think that, that the amount of points that have been spent on um, magical things for Gandalf um, actually means I think this is going to be a tough one for Gandalf. Um, we'll go through the go through his stats, and I'll I think that there's one stat that will make the major amount of difference. But uh, so having discussed this prior to this and said that we'd start giving reading out a little bit of a detail about the characters beforehand i haven't got it in front of me for gandalf but i think out of one or two or three characters in the whole of the series i think we can be forgiven for expecting that everyone knows who gandalf the gray is if they're listening to this so uh, um so gandalf the gray he is obviously a wizard he's a hero of legend and there's 170 points he's move six fight five um four um strength four Defense five, one attack. This is what I feel he's going to struggle, where you're going to nobble him. Um, three wounds, courage seven, three might. Um, he's got six will. Um, now I won't go into too much detail with this, but um, he has a special rule basically with with, with his his ring, um, which means that um, he always, as long as he's got one will left he gets a free one each turn essentially which again won't be relevant in this combat today and three fate he has glamdring or a foe hammer which is an elven made weapon which will stop you using your three up blubbery mass save um and he has a hand and a half sword um obviously he doesn't have burly so if he does make use of that he will be um obviously minus one to his fights he's already a fight down on you anyway so there may be some maybe some might be worth the risk um so naria is his ring so he re-rolls dice for making fate rolls with that as well which is quite handy could be handy for keeping him alive today um heroics resolve channeling 
strike. So strike's the only one that would be would be useful today. Um, we're going to need it because of the six. Yeah, he's going to he's going to need strike, and it's whether he's even risking. Uh, one thing he's doing about this on Glamdring, well. though, he increases Gandalf's strength by one by making one strikes, well. so he's effective strength five. He is, yes, and I've got that in my notes here, which is for some reason did not read it out. Um, he can take a horse. Um, <laughs> we obviously won't be using his horse today, and we won't go into his spells because that, that's irrelevant for, for this, really. And it becomes too much of a big conversation to talk about the spells and a bit more departure for what we're trying to do. Um, but yeah, I think we've, we've touched on it already. I think that if he had more than one attack, I think that um, his re-rolling fate um, might give him a chance, but I, th- I feel the rolling the one dice to attack, it's going to be very, very hard to get rid of your three wounds. It's going You need to roll so badly over a number of turns and me roll very well to chip away at those wounds. And then um, obviously you've only got the one fate. That's the only thing that could help there. But I, I think the, the one attack is probably going to be the most telling thing, far more telling than the one less fight and the one less strength. Um, so we you're, have been here before, though. If we have. Capable of doing it, it's me. <laughs> you're going to be wounded on. You're going to be wounded on threes. Um, I'm going to be wounding on what am I on fours with Glamdring, um, threes if I two hand. But then again, that's I suppose more of a fight lower already, and then striking up. It's that kind of balance, isn't it? Do I want to pay Mike for striking up and then minus one of them down off it as well? So it's uh, I think I'm going to have to really and and just hope. Um, but we will see what happens. So are you striking? Should we get started? So I should say, should we actually? Start? Yes, yeah, I'm, uh, ready to rumble. He has been uh, roused from his throne to uh, hit the wizard with the stick. So I'm going to strike up. I can't risk you uh, having a better fight than me and winning. So yeah, yeah uh, I'm, I'm going to as well, but I'm not going to two hand. So let's roll okay. a strike. Oh, I've only rolled a one. I've rolled a three. <laughs> right then. So, well, you you fight nine. You are fight nine, and I'm bored. Well, you're for high fight anyway, so let's let's see how quickly this ends. Uh, and I've rolled a one, so if you uh, you rolled, missed the dice, uh, six, uh, two, and I missed the trade. Six, two, and a four. Six, two, and a four. So, so, well, six on fight nine was the end of that one, wasn't it? <laughs> absolutely. So uh, threes. I rolled two threes two, and a two. Right, so that's two wounds. I have three fate. I'm gonna with roll. a re-roll. With a re-roll. So I'm going to roll two fight to get a um, <laughs> two double, double <laughs> one. I've just rolled here. Um, and then the re-roll. Uh, so uh, I've used two of my fates, but I have saved one of my wounds. Gandalf's down to two. Certainly is. Right then. So um, you round. I'm going to be using another mic to strike up again. I will do the same. Ooh, I've got a six. I rolled a one. Ah. Right, so you're now so I get the higher, higher than me. Fight eight to my fight seven. Right, let's go for it then. Oh, I've rolled a four. Oh, great. I've rolled uh, two fours and a two, so you do win this fight on the draw. Right then. So I need a four to wound you, and I do with a six. Right, I'm going to use my singular point of fate, which I do pass on a five. So he's got no more fate, but he's yet to take a wound. Right. And I'm back up to again. So am I going to use my last mate to right strike? I am. Yes, same. I've got a six. So have I. But it still places me above, uh, unfortunately. Not until your eight. Right, so here we go. Oh, I've got a Ooh, six. A six. Oh, <laughs> We've both got a six. So I win you. on the draw. And threes. 
Uh, Gandalf is now clubbed into paste. <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. Oh, I'm sorry, Sirian. I, th- I, yeah, I think, or in hind, well, when I say hindsight. I think we talked about it before, and I think it's the lack of attack dice that was rolling there that's that's that was hurting me. Um, but I think he can hold his own in the non, you know, with all the magic removed, you not being able to use blubbery mass, the rerolling the fate and the extra fate for for um, Gandalf. I think balances out the. The, the the strength and defense difference or the strength differences a little bit the fights only one so with strike you can kind of negate that a little bit i think it feels like the the rolling one dice to every three is the the biggest thing that hampers him there i think he needs other people in that attack with him to um to, to sort of sort of support that a little bit what do you think oh absolutely i mean if you had if you had thorin or dwarlin in by his side that would be the end of that wouldn't it so yeah yeah absolutely absolutely well, 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 they continue being fairly quick. I don't think anything's made it past sort of round three, maybe four of, of combat. Um, but I'm still enjoying doing them. It's still fun. So please send in your suggestions. Um, so really would like to stick at the moment to, th- you know, historic things in big inverted commas, historic things from the um, from the films or from the books. Um, and if the matchup is close or is there a way it works, then even better. But if not, it's, we, we'll still have some fun with it anyway. Right then. So we will take a little break and we'll come back and close the showdown. Hello again. We're back to close the showdown. So thank you for everyone who's made it to the end again of what is going to be quite a long show. I haven't edited it as I'm recording this, obviously, but long old interview there. Fantastic chat with um, Damien and Tom. So thank you again to both of them for for coming on and sharing their time. Um, I think we had a pretty good, pretty longer chat with us for the first half as well, didn't we, Dan? So it could be a good, good yes. chunky show, but hopefully you all enjoy it. It's all time stamped. No, so. anything, are they? <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's doing anything. Um, is there anyone, anyone you'd like to shout out, Dan, before we head off and close the show out? Yeah, once again. So, um, Damon, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, we had a really good laugh and a nice little chat afterwards as well, which is really cool. And um, the usual Legion of Peterborough shout out to those guys so if you're interested in doing some gaming including spg in the uh, east anglia or east midlands region then uh, give us a look on facebook and uh, join us for some gaming fantastic fantastic so i mean it's been wibbly wobbly time zones and things um, i'm just trying to think of anything i want to share i want to thank harry actually who gave us a nice um and mention in the latest entmoot i think and uh, yes. like really yes. enjoying his um his, his new format he sort of settled on something that he can do while uh, while we're not able while we're while he's not able to go to events and stuff and i um i like what he did with the kind of the the virtual list thing and i quite like the idea of you know him being able to have a game and at least just talk about the game rather than if it can't be a whole event so it's all, all good we're still still good to listen to harry no matter what you put out it's really really enjoy it so uh, just keep it up um um and that's it really so if you um if you've enjoyed the show and you haven't found us before so you may may have a few new people listening to us um please um, um head over on facebook and and, and uh, find our page um you can like our page join not join our group we have a small group um it's good for sort of basic hobby chat and things um love to see what you're up to in there you can follow us on instagram at ootfp podcast and at twitter at ootfp and if you want to email us directly you can on oot 
podcast at gmail.com. Um, and then you can also head over to our YouTube channel if you um, uh, follow the link that's in the show notes. It's probably better. I think we're quite so new and small that searching out of the frying pan might not bring us up in, in searches yet. But we do have a, a companion YouTube channel, which has just got a few videos up. Um, I think I've just done a, recently done a first hobby vlog. Um, there's a some some stuff on a big Helms Deep model I did and uh, just a few bits and bobs on there that don't always cover very well in an audio format so just give us a chance to to show some bits off as well so we will still be adding stuff to that so head over there as well but until next time take care and thank you very much Run!